Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast today with my guy, Mike Renner. We're going to walk through, give some feedback, react to the Maurice Jones-Drew mock draft, a favorite of the fans and ours, of course. We're also going to do our listener mailbag. Obviously going to get through a ton of questions there. If you want to get your question answered on the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and drop your question in there. We're going to get to those answers. We're going to get to those questions, and we're going to give answers. We also interviewed PFF's own Brad Spielberger, salary cap analyst before free agency Rashad Bateman wide receiver of Minnesota and Tommy Togiai one of the best run defenders in the 2021 NFL draft former defensive tackle for Ohio State let's get it Smelling salts cracked back in studio. We still don't understand how to fucking do these things back here. If you're watching on YouTube, it's a disaster every single time. But we'll get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. Yeah, it's, um, uh, we'll just keep blaming COVID. 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 It's, it's COVID. COVID keeps us from doing things correctly here in the studio in Cincinnati. You have a disaster of your own to talk about yesterday. <sighs> a little bit of a disaster. Now, as you know, uh, I played bas- I'm a basketball fan. That was probably my f- sport that I liked playing the most growing up. Humble brag, but I was my high school leading scorer in basketball. Die. Shout out to Coach Beasley if you're listening. Um, but yeah, so I was in rec league yesterday with some guys, you know. Um, and we are down one, five seconds left. I, full court. We got to go full court. I drop a great play to obviously get me the ball. I had a layup. I get fouled on the layup. I get, get, a, get me a layup. Fouled on the layup. So two free throws. Down one. No time left to win. I missed both. No, you didn't. I missed both free throws. Dude, you suck. I thought it was a cool story. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> I knew you were gonna love it because you love hating on me. But I don't love hating I, on you. You, you would have. You would have. I think it's funny when things happen poorly for you because yeah. you are a guy that's kind of you know you usually hit. I have lacked the clutch gene though in the past. My freshman year, I missed a shot to win in the regional championships at the buzzer. This and, is some PTSD shit right yeah. here. So, uh, it's Didn't not you also the first stub time. your toe or something? Oh, and my toe was fucked up after yesterday. Was it before or after, after the free throw? It was during the game. I could feel it like Blame start it on to the bleed. Toe. It was really... But it, no, it was not the toe. It was me choking. Choking. Back rim twice. I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit. Some people you know, want me to go back to some of the, the parenting stories. And I've talked a lot about my mom, talked a lot about my dad, but we haven't brought the stepmom into the conversation, which is an interesting one. She follows some stereotypical stepmom kind of narratives in some ways to kind of um, say, which is not that good that sounds like you're making no oh, wait, not those narratives not the, re- not the 2020 stepmom narratives <laughs> yeah, yeah. where like she's fucking caught in the laundry you know the, the washer <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, more stereotypical like pre-2010 but okay. um to kind of set the scene you know my dad and my real mom the one who was the grand theft auto master yeah were divorced when i was three and i originally lived with my mom because she was in a better situation than my dad was at the time however she then t- did a bullet a year in prison for the grand theft auto so then i got kicked over to my dad when i was about seven and my sister was nine however at that time my dad had already met my stepmom and they were having a kid my dad's name is vincent they were having vincent jr yeah the second son was named vincent jr not me let's not get into that here we are so He's with this new girl, my stepmom. We are coming over. My stepmom's 20. 
oh. at the time. She's she's about to enter a very crazy period in your life of having a child. And then she gets dropped in having a seven and a nine-year-old as well. It's like, oh, not only are you having a kid, but you now also have a seven and nine-year-old kid from obviously my mom's side and all that stuff. So we, she gets thrown into the fire. And parenting is very difficult. You know, it's not easy, especially if you don't ever oh, raise bet. children and then immediately get a seven and nine-year-old and it's a whole nother ball. When you're 20. Kid. Yeah. So let's just say this. Her disciplinary tactics were hard hitting. There's ones you want to avoid. They were not great. You don't like to see that. We're not going to get into that side of things. But you don't want to get disciplined by the stepmom because she's she's coming she's coming for the crown when something went wrong. Either way, I was still a, you know a kid and, and kind of a piece of shit in some ways. And I was a little bit of a fatty. You know, I liked food a lot when I was a kid. And there was, you know, it was like, I think we had people coming over for a holiday or something, maybe the next day or the day after. But you know those doughy-ass holiday cookies? You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Like, I have the frosting on top. If you're watching yeah. on YouTube, maybe Quinn can throw up a picture of the stereotypical holiday cookie where it's like, it it's barely even like tastes chalk. like a cookie. Yeah, like, it's like, yeah, it tastes like chalk. But as a kid, they're like crack. Yeah. So... And you know the boxes those come in, like the plasticky boxes that you can't open silently. But I wake up early. I did a lot of my deviance early because that's when people are asleep. You can kind of sneak some things around. I go, and I'm like, I think I'm like James Bond trying to open these things. Not only not only do I have to open it, but I have to like crack the seal. I'm like trying to like be really Mm. quiet. But I'm sure at eight, nine years old or wherever it was, wasn't doing a good job of being quiet at like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. in the morning. So I go in. I'm trying to open these things up. It's louder than I probably think. I get through one. I just vac. I, I as soon as I get it open, I grab two, and then I hear. We had these this hallway at the house where, like, if you walked through the hallway, it was very loud. Like the st- like it creaked and stuff. It was like fee fi fo fum coming from the back room. I'm freaking out. I just vacuum one, just borderline swallow it. I don't even think I chewed it. And then the other one I had in my hand. I quickly closed the plastic. And I kind of stuffed it into my shirt and like held it in the lip of my shirt. And it was just like standing there in the kitchen like this. She comes in. She's like, did you have a cookie? She knew I had a cookie. I felt like, I mean, I was like, mm. no, like still like crumbs probably on my mouth. She's like, are you sure? And I was like, no, man, I didn't have a cookie. The, th- the package is open. Two are missing. They come like mm. with eight every yeah. single time. Um, she doesn't check me though. I don't know how I avoided this. I don't know if she was in a stumber or whatever, because I was expecting an absolute beatdown. But she's like, okay. I still don't believe you, but okay. And I was like, all right, I have to go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom, just yeah. vacuum that other one, whatever it may be. But that was a one of the more traumatic moments. Another morning story from stepmom is in addition to doing this morning deviance, my grandpa, rest in peace, um, was telling me, hey, what do you want for Christmas? My parents went and to me. I wanted Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. The game, you know, where you could willfully like score drugs and beat up hookers on the street. I wanted that one. I would wake up at like 6 a.m. to play it so my parents didn't find out. I was going to say, you could have just had a ride along with your mom. Yeah, yeah. Then you really yeah, my mom play. actually plays the game a lot. Real <laughs> um, but I played that at 6 a.m. once and then she like broke into my room one time and I got, that was an actual beatdown. That was no cover up. There's no cover up that cookie. But the, the, the tips and tricks I went through to kind of avoid some of these disciplinary actions were a good time as a kid. Um, speaking of good times, let's get into Maurice Jones-Drew's MG. mock draft. This is going to be an absolute treat. So it's not quite mock draft 2.0. Mock draft 1.0, even last year, he starts off tame. And then he you know, gets in his bag in mock draft 2.0. But this one, a little tamer than, you know. But there's still some takes that are worth exploring, shall we say. Yeah. We're not going to go through every pick. Yeah, not go through every single pick. I think the most notable pick, and I had hundreds of people DMing me saying, you guys have to look at the Maurice Jones-Drew mock draft. You have to review it. We're going to get into this. We're going to look at the Maurice Jones-Drew mock draft. I think the most notable pick inside the top 10, a lot of it's kind of chalky, like you say, kind of tame, is at 10, 
And I thought I was the biggest fan of Javon Holland. I know. The Oregon safety, Oakland's own, Bishop O'Dowd, graduate. I played that school in high school. I was like, Javon Holland's a dude. People were sleeping on him. He has him going number 10. Number 10. To the Cowboys. That's the highest I've seen Javon Holland mocked this entire draft season. I don't think I've seen him ahead of like in the 50s. Yeah. Your original thoughts. Do do you think there's any likelihood that even Javon Holland goes in the first round? I mean, maybe. I'm not never going to say never, but I, I don't think so. I don't think he does. And number 10, and the best part about this whole mock draft, in my opinion, or not the best part, but reading the explanations then for picks, he says, Javon Holland, whether it's you can do it all and will be a major contributor, however he's used, as a center field safety, outside corner, or nickel, when just like... And return man on special teams. And return man, sorry, and return man on special teams, which he never played outside corner in his life. Like, that's just like a call being like... That would be a ridiculous play to just say, hey, let's get this guy who was a good safety, good slot, and just make him an outside corner. So uh, that one, I was going to say that's probably a, a reach. I stand with Mojo. Let's get Javon Holland, Oakland zone, in the top 10. I'm all for it. And I do think he's very versatile. But yeah. I don't think you can knock any NFL media mock draft for the analysis. They literally do two or three sentences max. They know what cooks. The yeah. SEO of mock draft is what gets these things clicks. People are not clicking in to read Mojo's analysis. They're clicking in to read Javon Holland at 10. Do we think he opened up Microsoft Word at any point for this mock draft? That or I don't want to comment on. I like, don't wanna... do you, I, I'm guessing he just like was talking with a guy about every pick. and some Maybe. Guy just gave Maybe. He had a that. scribe is what you're saying? Yeah. I don't think that's unlikely he also has Wyatt Davis going at 20 of the Chicago Bears the Ohio State guard ahead of Elijah Vera Tucker of USC who goes the next pick to the Indianapolis Colts do you see in any way shape or form Wyatt Davis going ahead of AVT no I mean he's good but I think he has injury issues that people are gonna like he kept he had a knee that just kept popping up this past year that a recurring knee issue is not something you draft early especially at guard but the the other ones that we got touched on here Running backs. Yeah, three, three running, running backs. backs going in the first round. Surprise, surprise. The MJD special. The the number 18 here, Miami Dolphins, Najee Harris. The write-up for this. The Dolphins get arguably the best player in the draft at the spot value I didn't read that. Wait, they said, I didn't know that he said that. That's his explanation <laughs> for the Dolphins getting Najee Harris. Arguably the best player in the draft? I'm crying. Why did he go at 18, Mojo? I know, yeah. Make a call, Mojo. That's gonna, incredible. That's incredible. Take a page out of Charlie Castley's book. That's my gonna... favorite sentence I've read this year. Yeah. Wow. So he has Najee Harris going to Miami at 18. He also has the Jets taking Travis Etienne at 23. But, and again, then, but again, you got to read the – Okay, Etienne. Read Let me read Etienne. The pairing – this pairing makes too much sense. The best way to help a team get out of its funk is to get a running game and a mobile quarterback. Pairing Justin Fields, so we had Justin Fields uh, going to the Jets at two, with an explosive rusher who breaks tackles and can take it the distance, gets the Jets headed in the right direction. Running game. The That's running how you game. get a team out of a funk. You get the team – you know what they should do? Sign Le'Veon Bell. Oh, wait. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> that didn't work out. Um, Travis Etienne at 23, and then a few picks down, he does have – Javante. Javante Williams. My guy. Javante Williams going at 30 to the Buffalo Bills. I know the Bills have other needs, says Mojo. But a player like Williams might have gotten them over the hump last January. Come on. Are we still playing this game that a running back gets you over the hump? MGD is. I mean, his are, livelihood is Do you is think like... Leonard Fournette got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the hump? And if you do, delete your accounts. Delete your any public statements you make. Because that's not what it was. You know who took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the hump? Tom Brady. You know, and that, that passing offense. And defensively, I, you could argue... 
I mean, Antoine the, Winfield Jr. and some Sean Murphy Bunting, their third corner, took them over the hump more than uh, Leonard Fournette did. But explosive runner fits exactly what the Bills need in their run game. Yeah, I mean, he is more explosive than what they got. But what they need in the run game is better run blocking. Can I highlight a pick I really like? Yeah. I, I really like the Terrace Marshall Jr. pick to Baltimore. Like Terrace Marshall Jr. Baltimore, I've we've mocked him Rashad Bateman in the t- at times. We had the wide receiver position overview last podcast, and you you know you're firmly putting him in that day one conversation. I think Terrace Marshall Jr. to Baltimore is actually a fit I really do like. And you know how you take a team like Baltimore over the hump is you get Terrace Marshall Terrace Jr. Marshall Jr. is I think what could do it. Man, I didn't read that. Arguably the Explosive. best player in the draft. Value I love that value wise. Also, you got to. Oh, I didn't see that. the value wise. I just keep laughing. This is incredible. Well, mm. Mojo. All respect, obviously. I, I mean, say, mock drafts wait. are an exercise. Mock drafts. Can't wait till are, 2.0. Mock drafts are content. Can't wait for his 2.0. I think Javon Holland falls out of the first round in 2.0. Can we have a bet on that? I think I don't think he sees Holland in the first round in 2.0. We'll There's see. no way he sticks to those guns. You might have him going even higher. Dude, a talent like Javon Holland? I, I freaking love it. I freaking love it. All right, let's get now into the mailbag. Obviously, talking stepmom stories, basketball. You're just a bad clutch player. Mojo mock draft. No clutch, you. I've... I'll admit it. No question. Let's get into the listener mailbag here and then interviews with Brad Spielberger, PFF salary cap analyst, Rashad Bateman, receiver Minnesota, which is a really cool interview, and Tommy Togiai of Ohio State should be a good time. This one, this first question on the listener mailbag, and if you want your question answered, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and drop your question there. We did just find out this, though. Yes. That if you're from a different country, like Ireland, UK, Brazil, Australia— they have a different review process. It doesn't come through. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't come, come through, through on iTunes. But iTunes. we just found out how we can read those. So we might do an international mailbag day because we have like yeah. another 200 reviews from other countries. Should we dress up for that? We might have to dress up for that. Culturally, maybe inappropriate. No, no that sounds ridiculous, Mike. What the hell are you going to wear? I could dress up as a leprechaun. I got the size. Hmm. Dude, the mustache. Thing. I could be a Mario. We're, either way, we're going to do you an international mailbag. You know you had to mailbag. be under 5'9", I want to say, to be the actual leprechaun in Notre Dame. And then Wait, you had really? to grow, and you had to grow a beard. Yeah. Oh wow. They had height requirements. I could not have been left kind of if I wanted to. I could have probably slipped yeah, in. You probably could <laughs> um, the other thing I'll say is if that you feel like we, you got skipped somehow, say you were an international review, or you feel like we accidentally skipped you, shoot me a DM on Twitter. I'll try and find it, and we'll try and fit it back in. We don't want to skip anybody. If anything, it's unintentional. We've got a ton of reviews over the past like 20, 30 days, so anything is unintentional here. We're grinding away, double mailbags a week, trying to make sure we get through these. Let's go ahead and start. Nickname 4029. I'm still trying to understand the concepts of salary cap and franchise tags. What are the benefits of tagging and tr- tagging and trading and play- playing under the cap, et cetera? Well, we got good news for you. Listen to the Brad Spielberger yes. interview at the end of the show. Hey, Brad Spielberger went in. Yeah, that, that interview of... at the back end of this podcast is fantastic. He really does explain and simplify the free and see process. A lot and of yeah, a lot of the salary cap process. So definitely tune in to that nickname four zero two nine. Jarius Norwood. Quick question about salary cap. Okay, I've always wondered why salary cap leagues don't account for state taxes. For instance, people kept mentioning how Raiders players would get more money once they left Cali for Vegas. Isn't this an obvious unequal playing field between teams? Why not adjust caps by location? I will say, rookies get screwed by this the most. That's who I feel badly for. Mm-hmm. So if you know Trevor Million, Tre- Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor let's say Trevor Millions, he saved, <laughs> he saved $4 million by the Jaguars getting the number one pick and not the Jets. Now, you can debate whether he'd make that back in advertising or being in New York or whatever. But $4 million tax-wise over the course of his rookie contract from that difference. 
which is not chump change. That is, that is when you sign a big money $4 deal. $4 million dollars will never be chump change to me. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's when you sign a big money deal, that is a massive chunk. Like that's 10% state income tax in New York versus none in Florida. So it is something. I think that's on your piece of shit state that's charging all that money, though. That's not on the NFL. Uh, it's not the NFL's problem. That's not the problem. NFL's problem, basically. Fair enough. All right. Moving on from the cap questions here. Make sure you turn into that turn in. Tune into that interview with Brad Spielberger. This is from Obungaloo. I like the names. Get an inter- if you get an interesting name in the reviews, it makes me happy and it really helps me through this process. I will try and read these correctly. Multiple people DM'd me after last time where I was just botching some of the reading of those questions. I had like a seizure on the freaking podcast. But we're gonna move through here. Hope for no errors. This is from Obungaloo. If you were to combine the top three to five wide receivers from last year's class and add them to your top three to five wide receivers in this class, what would the rankings be? Yes. So without the advent of revisionist history here, you're just combining how I felt at the time draft-wise, how I felt at the time draft-wise now. So number one, Jamar Chase, LSU. Number two, Jerry Judy. Three, CeeDee Lamb. Four, Jalen Waddle. Five, Devontae Smith, six, Henry Rugg, seven, Rashad Bateman, and then eight, LaVisca Chenault. That's how I'd combine those into a top eight. There you go. Very quick and easy. I'm trying to think of anything I would disagree with here. Yeah. Hmm. The Judy Lamb. I think that, if anything, it shows the love for LaVisca Chenault Jr. You really like LaVisca Chenault coming out. I think because I definitely agree with. And I think something to consider, and I think revisionist history would probably put Bateman over Ruggs after what we saw in Las Vegas last year. But right now, I think Ruggs over Bateman. I'm on for this. I'm all for this. I like that ranking. All right. From MMART6767. My question is, if top 10 teams like the Falcons and Lions are targeting quarterbacks but already have their 2021 starter in place, who would be a better project for for a 2022 starter, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, who has a higher ceiling and who will translate to the NFL quicker? I mean, we have Fields higher on our boards. We think he'll be better. You know, that's that's why he's higher on our boards. So I do think that he's, no matter what the situation, would do better off in terms of between those two going to equal situations. I don't honestly like either to come in the NFL and start lighting it up right away. I, I don't think that's going to happen with either one. Trey Lance because he legitimately needs work in terms of his accuracy to Justin Fields because he's going from a situation at Ohio State where easier than anything he's going to see in the NFL. So I think both could stand to go to teams or would be better off going to teams like the Falcons, like the Lions, like the Panthers maybe even, where they could sit year one. Next question from Nicholas C underscore three in an alternate universe. I like where this is starting where Roger Goodell announces that the draft will include both incoming rookies and free agents and the free agents had to be signed with rookie contracts. What would the first round look like? Also in our universe, I've seen very few of any people talk about Dak to the football team. I think they can get Godwin too. If it's great, if it's a great fit, is it possible? No. <laughs> Sorry. A little late on that one, but I do like the concept. And so we're going to go through this with all the guys who got tagged or just signed also included. So number one, got Trevor Lawrence still goes to the Jags. I still think that's where you'd go. If you were the Jags, you're not drafting you're Dak swinging Prescott. for the fences. No, you're swinging for the fences on what Trevor could be because that's why he's seen the way he's seen Two, Dak Prescott. Then I think does go to the Jets. I think the assuredness of what that would he be is. a very good decision. Yeah. And then number three, I think you got the Panthers trading up. Go get Zach Wilson, although maybe you don't necessarily need to trade up in this scenario because of the quarterback talent that you're adding with 
you know, a Dak Prescott being a free agent, but I just think Zach Wilson to the Panthers. Then I think Justin Fields goes to the Falcons. Say so then the Bengals, I think they draft Trent Williams. That's who they get. And now, yes, he is a little older, but you need to protect Joe Burrow. And I think the way tackles have aged in recent years, you've got about four or five more years left of him, which is all you're assured on a rookie contract anyways. Then you get number six, Eagles, Allen Robinson. Ooh. This, again, the safety of – we love Jamar Chase as a prospect. Allen Robinson is a known quantity and still young, 27. Penny Sewell then goes to the Lions. I think even though maybe they don't necessarily need offensive tackle – think in their rebuild sort of good value pick. state that's where you'd go chris godwin then to the dolphins after the dolphins trade back another young wide receiver that the assuredness of him you feel better about than maybe the jamar chase of the world broncos i think they stand pat and they'd get trey lance then at that point and then mac jones to the cowboys because the cowboys need a quarterback that is a very they wouldn't interesting have exercise they wouldn't have dak at that they point. wouldn't have dak man I do think in that alternate universe, that was probably how it lines up. It's interesting because Dak Prescott's like the only quarterback from the 2021 free agent class that would get drafted inside the top 10. Like you don't see, you know, like it's not going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick or James yeah. Winston, even though they, they have played well in the NFL at times. Like you're not going to, you're not going to draft those guys ahead mm-hmm. of some of the other prospects in this class. That's very interesting. I like that alternate universe. I like that question. Those are, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. This one's from Ronchi Ponce or Prawns, excuse me. Ronchi Prawns says, that, um, do we, overvalue speed at the wide receiver position we talk about how much value deep threats bring to an offense even over the production they provide but are you better off signing a nelson Aguilar or a marquez valdez scantling in free agency to fill that void rather than spending high draft capital on someone like henry ruggs for example yes to a degree i, I think speed is 100 percent overvalued I-, I think you just look at the top guys in the nfl year-on-year, consistently productive guys. There's kind of a type that wins, and this is why we love Rashad Bateman. It is 6'2", 6'3", 205, 215 pounds. That's maybe 6'1", like a solidly built wide receiver who has suddenness to him, can win in a number of different ways. Those are the guys that go for 1,400-plus yards year-on-year. A lot of them. There's a lot of guys in that mold. DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, uh, Michael Thomas. That's a the top group of wide receivers is filled with guys like that. And they're not 4-4 guys. None of those guys broke 4-5 in the 40. It is not a complete necessity to produce at the NFL level. And just because you run a 4-3 doesn't mean you're going to produce deep either. You've got to have something else. You have to be able to set guys up to win deep. And so if you, if you just want speed in your offense, if you just want a guy who will run over routes, you can go find that. Over routes deep crossers, shallow crosses even. You can go find that every day of the week of free agency. So I do agree that... John Brown just got cut. Yeah. That that guys like that, you can go find. But you chase that because the payoff can be so big when you get a Deshaun Jackson in your offense, when you get a Tyreek Hill in your offense, when you get that guy who is game-changing, Will Fuller in your offense. That can actually has to be accounted for every single play because you're not going to guard him with the Jalen Mills. If you have Jalen Mills on the outside, that's just, you're not going to play man coverage against that guy. So I would argue though, that, you know, speed is overvalued and I think change of direction and suddenness and quick twitch is undervalued and more important when you're looking for like dominant receiving prospects. And I do think if you are going to be that guy at the NFL level, a lot of times think you do at college too. You, you should you should be showing that deep threat ability, the deep ability. 
Whereas that's so Jalen Waddle's done that. That's what Henry Ruggs like didn't do, and that's that was a worrisome thing with him is he didn't show that he was not an explosive downfield receiver in Alabama's offense. A lot of his biggest plays were underneath stuff that he then ran after the catch. And I also will add that Marcos Valdez Scantling's under contract in that question, so you can't just go sign him. But. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, I will say with Jalen Waddle, I was doing some like looking at some of the data today. Something I think that gets underrated a bit is his yards after the catch ability. He has the highest yards after the catch per reception of any receiver with at least 100 receptions over the past six years of any receiver career. Also, yards per reception and average depth of reception have a correlation of 0.8, very likely. The further you catch the ball downfield is the further your receptions go. He doubled, doubled what his, his average depth of reception was like nine yards. His yards per reception was 18. He is getting more out of downfield targets. He's getting more out of his targets because of that yak ability. I think Jalen Waddle, again, deep threat, speed, love it. But when he gets the ball in his hands, he makes the best of every situation. That was reminiscent of CeeDee Lamb's profile too. Yeah, CeeDee Lamb's the same way. A lot of yak on his game mm-hmm. and um, in addition to being able to win downfield and yeah. those things. All right, this is from King Duke 41 What do you guys think about the Chargers picking up an offensive line in the free agency, in free agency and drafting Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan with the 13th overall pick or trading up to get them? I think that's interesting because you know so many people right now are pretty much chalking it up that they're going to take Rashawn Slater at 13. I think that's the most common player mocked to mm-hmm. the Los Angeles Chargers, the Northwestern offensive lineman. What what are your thoughts there? They have to go offensive line free agency, even if they want Rashawn Slater too. I'm not just going to say, oh, go a line free agency and then for sure draft one of these cornerbacks or go trade up for one of these cornerbacks. I wouldn't go do that for sure. But you have their shopping Trey Turner. You have Trey Pipkins, Ryan Balaga as your only – returning starters then you got you got no interior offensive line you have to, one Rashawn Slater is not going to fix what's wrong with that Chargers offensive line that we ranked the worst of football last year so go yes do both is what I would recommend throw a lot of resources at it and there's a good not a great year to need tackles in free agency good year seemingly to need guard centers so all right Moving off of King Duke to Ace Boogie asterisk. What is the Kevin White story? You guys tease this so much. I'm listening every day to hear the story. This doesn't mean I'll stop listening, but I'm dying to hear it. I think he means the John, John Ross, Ross story. story. And I've have had a handful of people DM me and say, hey, just tell me. Just tell me the DMs. <laughs> and I've done it. I've said just like the brevity of it. Oh. I will say it's gotten really hyped up. It's, it's a little overhyped. It's a little overhyped at this point. It's crazy. It's a little bit wild. When the chick first told us we were at a bar or something like a year ago, it was kind of insane. Like, I was like, oh, my God, that kind of makes sense. But we still can't say it. If he doesn't get signed in free agency, maybe we drop the hammer. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, if he doesn't get signed in free agency, we'll for sure. Or if he gets like a menial deal that is probably going to get cut, we're going to. All right, we'll drop it. I think that's a good. I think that's. But a yeah, good keep problem. listening, definitely. For <laughs> definitely keep listening because it's coming. <laughs> a Ravens fan. My question is: the Ravens are scheduled to lose all their edge players, pretty much. Everyone is mocking wide receivers to them, which is fine. But they need an edge player badly. Haven't had a really, haven't really had a presence there since Suggs. Judon is badly overrated. I believe in Unique. With a full offseason with the Ravens, I think he'd be fine. But the Ravens get torched by Mahomes because we have to send the blitz due to no edge. What are your guys' thoughts on them attacking edge with their first pick and targeting a receiver in free agency? Next one's about the Ravens, too. Okay, next one from VNans. 
Hey guys, love the show. As a Ravens fan, I think we really need to add talent on the outside to see what Lamar can do before we pay him huge money. So this guy wants a receiver. I'm a huge Rashad Bateman fan after watching him and think he pairs with Hollywood well. Should the Ravens hope a wide receiver falls in the draft to 27 or pay decent draft capital or a tag and trade candidate like Galladay, then refill the offensive line through the later rounds? Either way, which wide receiver do you think fits them at 27? So one wants a receiver, yep. one wants an edge player. One wants edge. I would lean edge. I think I would lean draft edge wise. potentially. I would think for the draft. Yeah. I think right now with Kenny Galladay available, go get Kenny Galladay potentially. If you have the cap space to do it and Kenny Galladay wants to play with Lamar Jackson, I think that's a nice because you don't even have to tag and trade in that situation. They didn't he didn't get tagged. Yeah. So go get Kenny Galladay and with where this edge class is stacking up, I think there's going to be a valuable player along the edge at 27. Yes. So like Ravens MO has kind of been not to retain those edge guys. It's been rare like they let Pernell McPhee walk, they let Zadarius Smith walk. They have been all the also exceptional at developing edge talent outside yes. of Sergio Kindle, who what he had that bicycle accident, not bicycle, motorcycle accident that I think it was that he then never quite recovered from. They're good at identifying and developing edge talent. So I think that's where you go in the draft. Maybe not first round, but I think that's where they're going to address edge. And they could very well let Judon and Ngakwe both walk in free agency and then at that point with their space i think they do go i think they are players in this wide receiver class and free agency because i mean they've also done that too they added willie sneed a few years ago so i think that will be the plan this offseason dude and they then, go and get galladay and pick an edge in either the first or second round i think that's the move because another thing you benefit from letting edge guys walk is you avoid monster contracts like i've said multiple times yes. on this podcast now 12 of the 15 highest paid non-quarterbacks rush the passer you have to pay a lot of money to get a matthew judon to get a nick and like these guys require top dollar contracts yeah. and when you avoid those when you let a judon walk when you let zadarius smith walk well maybe you do lose some of that production yeah. i think you gain a lot of cap cap space back and can kind of fill that in the draft if they are so good at developing that that piece and they have the guys that i would kind of say fit their mold like Smith, McPhee, who's the other one that I'm blanking on right now? Even Judon, like they had bigger, long power ends. They've been very good at developing. I think that could be Carlos Basham for them. I think that could be someone like Rashad Weaver. I was going to say Weaver. So that could be where you're looking if you are the Ravens because they've had at more success than any other team outside of round one in finding those guys. Yeah, Rashad Weaver round two to Baltimore sounds awesome. Yeah, You're getting a really smart player too. And in terms of like developing talent, regardless of position, getting guys that can come in that you can just pick up things very right. quickly like Weaver can, I think that's going to be, I like that as a mock. If you do a two round, three round mock coming up, let's Weaver. get Weaver to Baltimore if we can. Mm-hmm. All right, what's the Shanna plan? That's that guy, that's this guy's uh, <laughs> uh, username. Wanted to get your opinions on some hypotheticals for the 49ers under the assumption they re-signed Trent Williams, Jason Verrett, and Kyle Juszczyk out of their top free agents and all four quarterbacks. The top three receivers and Pitts are gone by pick 12. Oh my gosh, that was hard to read. All four, Okay, so in the draft, all four quarterbacks, the top three receivers, and Pitts are gone by pick 12. How would they approach the draft? I don't want to read the rest of this novel here. How would they approach just, the draft? Just Let's read answer. the rest of it. Okay. Read the rest of it. I'd personally hope for Farley or Sertan, preferably Farley, to make it to 12 and then double up at corner in round two with someone like Tate Gowan, Tyson Campbell, or Javon Holland. Do you guys think a trade down in the late teens, early 20s would make more sense? If so, what would the package be? What would be the package you hope for and who would be the ideal pick for San Francisco between picks 17 and 24? This guy's going in deep. Yeah, I'd absolutely love to see Shanahan what Shanahan could do with someone like Rondell Moore in that range, but he may be a bit of a luxury for us. Keep up the great work, guys. Hope to make it to Cincy and maybe run into you guys at a bar sometime. Is he 
this guy will not live in Cincy. It's just going to come to Cincy to hope to see us at a bar. I, I mean, when you put that effort into the question, I don't doubt it. You know, this guy went in. Okay, I, there's <laughs> a lot to, to break honest, down there. If you come to Cincy and you go to a bar, you, you might. You, there's a good chance you'll see it. I'm going to break so. that down and kind of summarize it. Okay, just because I feel like that was a lot. Yeah. Assuming they re-sign Trent Williams, Jason Brett, and Kyle Juszczyk, the top four quarterbacks, top three receivers, and Pitts are gone by pick twelve. Should Where'd they take the corner there, or should they trade down and maybe pursue a guy like? Rondell Moore, like you said, even though yeah. it would be a luxury. If they trade down, who would they get in the 17 to 24 range? I think you'd still get a good corner if you trade down. Now, it takes two to tango on trades. We always say that. It's not always an option. I do like either Farley or Sertan at 12, the value of that, and the fit in their defense for sure. I think that's where I would go. I like the idea of pumping picks into that secondary. I would also like to still address the interior of the offensive line, even if you do re-sign Trent Williams. But I think that one can wait a little bit longer. Like if Slater's on the board there and Farley's on the board there for them, I think I'd lean Farley for them for sure. All righty. That San Francisco, if that guy makes that a really good fit for them. If that guy makes that to Cincy, I'll have a couple drinks post-vaccine. All right, this is from Booby. How would you grade this as a Patriots offseason, and how realistic is it for the draft prospects to – to be got with the Patriots picks. Oh, so this guy gave us his plan and yeah. we're going to grade it. I kind of like this as a review question. <laughs> if you're a fan of a team and you want to give us like, hey, this is how I'd fix the Raiders or how I'd fix the Packers. <laughs> what do you guys think? I kind of like that as a question. Here we go. He got John Johnson at safety. Love that. Dalvin Tomlinson, Henry and Henry Anderson, Jonu Smith, and Curtis Samuel in free agency. He didn't break the bank for any of these guys. I think the biggest like money contract compared to position would probably be John Johnson. Yeah. Then for the draft, he got Zayvon Collins at Tulsa, linebacker. Brevin Jordan, tight end out of Miami. Carlos Basham Jr., edge. Getting Collins and Basham. Love to see that. Amari And then Amari Rogers of Clemson, the slot receiver. How would you grade that offseason for the Patriots? Just a little redundant, I'll say. You got Brevin Jordan and John Smith are the same guy. And you also drafted two tight ends in the third round last year. I, I, I would almost want to flip this draft on its head in terms of the value. You're going linebacker and tight end, one, two. Now, Zayvon Collins, great fit for them. Uh, ideally, you'd trade down to get a Zayvon Collins because he's not going to fit everybody, and so he may not go super early. But also, the teams that would covet a guy like that, you're not going to find another one in the draft. So, obviously, Belichick's MO has been trading down, but I, I would like to address the valuable positions early. Cause we keep talking about the Patriots. The reason why we don't think this is their window is because you don't have enough young talent. You don't have enough cheap talent to actually compete and win a championship quite yet. So that's where I would focus on is valuable positions that can help you be building blocks for the long term. But I do like the fit of Basham. I do like that free agency class because, again, these guys aren't super high level, super expensive. I wouldn't think any of them all are kind of would fall into that secondary. I think John Johnson's going to make the most money of that group. Yeah, maybe Dalvin Tomlinson. Because people – uh, Gettleman's over there resetting the DT market, just true, throwing true. it through the roof. Dalton Tomlinson was actually one of my first prospect interviews. Guy's wrestling background's nuts. That guy was like an all-star wrestler in, in high school. I, think. I liked him a lot as a prospect. He's turned out well. Also um, super smart. I think he was like once committed or considering Harvard. I th- I'm pretty sure he's a, he's a pretty brilliant kid as well. Damn. Um, but yeah, so I would just say for instance, he's cool, but then you kind of got redundant with Samuel and Rogers, similar players that final grade on a scale of one to five. Final grade one to five. We'll do negative two point oh to two point oh. The Classic. PFF scale will go plus point five. Yeah, I was thinking plus point five. That's solid. All right, let's go now one, to one above expectations. There you I go. like that. Cash McAllister, one of my favorite names so far. 
outside of Jenny Toolwarts. I was wondering how you would approach the Dolphins' offensive line this offseason. Last year, they drafted three rookies and signed a veteran. These rookies played without an offseason, so it seems like the Dolphins are going to be relying on development this year. Very true. Would you leave the Would you leave the line as it is and hope for development, sign a free agent, or look to add in the draft? I would add at least one vet free agent, even if it's just like a Ricky Wagner. Someone who can come in. Zeitler. And give you a floor. Yes, Zeitler. Norwell if he's available. Someone that can come in and give you a floor that you're not bottoming out and because – they were still bad last year. They were still not a good situation. And yeah, rookies, you can expect them to be better than their rookie year, but they got to be a lot better to get you into a position where you have an offense that can compete. Like you're just when you have a bottom five offensive line, you're just going to struggle to compete. You're going to struggle to put up numbers consistently week in and week out with the better offenses in the NFL. So that's how I feel about that. Jumping now to Cleveland Clownies. How would you recommend? to attack a draft for a team like the Browns, a good offense and a poor defense? Would you ignore an elite wide receiver in favor of defensive players? No, I don't think so. I think wide receiver would still go a long way in this offense. Especially if they do move on from OBJ. Especially if they do. And honestly, they probably should. Like, yeah. it's just, it was not what do you working think out. you could get for OBJ on the market right now? That's a good question. His First, contract is fairly favorable for wherever he's going to go to. It's like around $15 million a year the next couple of years. And no dead money. If you if it doesn't work out, you just dump them. If you're the team that gets them, not a first. Maybe, a, probably a second. What's the landing spot? Who should go get them? For a second? There's got to be a team to go get them. That's a good question. Maybe the, I don't know, maybe the Jaguars. Packers? Would be fun. Jaguars would be fun with first. What about second. Packers? I mean, obviously I want the Packers. Dude, but Packers, that. man, don't spend that first round pick on a receiver. Go trade a second for OBJ. Could be fun. That could be kind of sick. Could be fun. I would. I mean, yeah, I would do it. Right. I, I didn't want to say it. You said it, but I didn't want to say it. That would yeah. be sweet. All right. But uh, so I think wide receiver can still be on the board for them. That's the only position I would think about going offensively, though. All right. After that, defense, valuable positions. Honestly, edge is where I'd bet they go with this class. Yeah, edge. a lot of people have them mocked, like Jeremiah Usukormoa. If Michael Parsons falls, I've seen a Zayvon Collins there. Even though it's a low key, awesome free agency edge class to find talent. I think really yes. I mean, you got you got guys who for who could be impact players. You got who won't come that expensive. You got like Jadavion Clowney, Yannick Gakwe, Matthew Judon. I mean, even Romeo Aquara played well last year and is only twenty five years old still. What could that guy be? Is that the sign of something to come? So I think there's a guy, a lot of guys who have kind of question marks around them that could produce and won't cost you that much which is rare to find on the edge of free agency all right moving on from baby jajay between justin fields and zach wilson whose skill sets and traits is more likely to provide extended career longevity additionally not a question we would just like to hear ramondre stevenson or some discussion on ramondre stevenson get some love i don't think there's a discernible difference in terms of longevity for each now fields you'll probably use more in the run game than Wilson, which obviously always worries you about taking more hits in that regard. And he holds on to the ball and may take more sacks. That's obviously worrisome. But then Wilson's skinnier and is no stranger to trying to extend plays and taking hits himself. So I, I honestly don't think there's much of a discernible difference. Both, I would imagine, can play in the league for at least 10-plus years. So Ramondre Stevenson is probably my second favorite 
power back in the draft class after Najee Harris, obviously, in terms of that's what you want. You want the bell cow between the tackles guy. Monterey Stevenson, it's hard to beat. Now, he doesn't necessarily run super with power. He, he runs a little bit like a lighter back sometimes, but it's because he can get away with this because he has really, really good feet, stop-start ability, cutting ability for a guy who's 230. Well, he's listed at 240-something pounds and comes into the senior bowl like 230. That's probably where he's going to play in the NFL. You don't want to be too much bigger than that. 225 is the prime. Yeah, 225 is about your prime. Uh, 165 career attempts, though, is kind of the – in an offense like Oklahoma where those aren't NFL concepts. You're getting space created for you a lot in that offense. So that's why it's a little bit lower on the board and obviously our disdain for the running back position overall. His, his advanced stats are also pretty impressive. I think he was top five in yards after contact per attempt this past year and also top five in fourth missed tackles per attempt this past year. This guy was getting it done, making people miss. All right, from Lil J925, I've got two questions for you. How do you feel about the recent trend of young receivers exclusively, exclusively choosing numbers in the 10 to 19 range rather than the 80s? Interesting question. I was upset when Pittman switched from 86 to 11. How could you be upset? 11 is sick. Number two, thoughts on Asante Samuel Jr. to the Bucks at 32. Yeah. So let me get, I got my top five wide receiver numbers here. Oh, wow. Written down. Number one, 80. 80 is the GOAT. You can't beat 80 as wide receiver. Number two is 84. AB. Some legends were in 84. Number three, 18. Now we kick into the single digits. 18 is a great number. 18 for, is not a top three number. 18 for is a top three number for no, receivers. Uh, number four, 11. Yeah, 11 so Michael Pittman made the right choice there. Uh, number five, 89. 89 is a cool number. 89 and is a better number than 18. I have some takes about this also. 88 is a tight end number. Don't wear 88 if you're a wide receiver. Number 12 is a quarterback number. Don't wear number 12 if you're a wide receiver. And then 86 is the worst of all the wide receiver numbers. 86 stinks. 85 stinks. No, 85 is great. No, I don't like Maybe I'm just biased because I had a Greg Jennings jersey growing up, but 85 is all right. I think the number that is undervalued on this list is 19. I think 19 is sick for a receiver. 19, who was that? Like Mark Clayton came out as 19? I don't, I don't, I I, Juju Smith Schuster technically wears 19, but I don't categorize, I don't, I, I, th- I still think the number is sick. I, one of my friends in high school wore 19 at receiver. It's pretty dope. I think 89 is also a very good receiver number. I like, I like 89. Um, I think 18 is the only one where I'm just like, you're, you're high. Who were some 19s? It wasn't Mark Clayton. Who am I thinking of? I'm not sure of some 19s that like dominated with it, but I think it's an un- undervalued number and underused. Like people, more receivers need to pick it coming out. Doesn't Galladay wear 19? I'm, I'm so bad. I'm so bad at this, but I think 19 is undervalued on this list. Regardless, what are your thoughts Mark on Cooper. this? There's your boy. Mark Cooper was 19. Uh, oh, yeah. Feeling? He's sick with 19. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And he wore 89 in, 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 in Oakland. So he, he he knew what he was doing. He, yeah, he knew what he was doing. And he wore nine at, at Alabama. And if you could wear single digit numbers, nine is dope. I think nine is a fantastic number. All right. How do you feel about Asante Samuel Jr. at 32? I don't know if he sees the field. And we always talk about drafting for your situation and knowing where you're at. The Bucs are in a Super Bowl window. That's likely closing within a year or two. So that's why they're throwing this money at Amate David for a short-term contract, tagging Godwin, whatever. So you gotta you got to get a guy that's going to see the field. We don't always advocate for that, but this guy that you're drafting at 32 has to see the field, and I think that's why a lot of people are penciling it. Running back, because obviously running back would see the field for them. But you got three kind of established corners there, and Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis, uh, Sean Murphy bunting that are all young, all developing. You'd only really see the field via injury or dime packages. Not that that's a great necessarily reason to completely skew value altogether, but I think there will be other options 
that provide value at that position, 32 overall, that could see the field defensive line being likely where that would be. All right, jumping now to Gurley, 17. Looking at it right now, my guess is Trevor Lawrence will end up with the Jags. Fair. Wilson on the Jets. Fields, I have a feeling, will end up with the Falcons and Trey Lance on either the Eagles or Panthers. If that scenario pans out, very specific, how would you rank them as far as how productive the NFL careers would be? That's an interesting question. I like that. Picking a landing spot for a quarterback and then saying how good would they be, I think that's interesting. So this one's tough because you don't know exactly what the plan's still going to be. And you got all new GMs you got all teams here kind of early and they're like the Jets Joe Douglas just got there um Falcons I'm blanking on who their new GM just got there the Panthers as well you don't really know what their plan is going to be around those guys if they go to those respective situations so obviously I Trevor Lawrence I'd still put one because absurd amount of cap space already like some talent offensively to work with and you got Urban Meyer I don't worry about sort of scheme he's going to Number two, I'd go Fields on that list. Honestly, I, I think he would be great for Arthur Smith's offense. I think it would be great that he could sit a year or two behind Matt Ryan and develop and then get up to speed. And, and in that span, you would think they start investing in their offense. You know, obviously they have to shed a lot of cap this year, but then after that, they would invest in their offense. And so when Fields is in, you'd have a really good situation to succeed. Zach Wilson's the one where, yeah, I like where he's going with. Um, LaFleur as the offensive coordinator there. The Jets, I I like that system for him. Obviously, it's similar stuff to what he ran at BYU, but you got to add a lot. You you need a lot of talent around him, and he's going to be thrown day one into there. So just wouldn't love that. And then Trey Lance, he just, we see him as too too far a tier below these top three to really put him above any of those guys. He would have to go to a really, really good situation. I think the Panthers would probably be the best for him, but even then, Offensive line concerns. Um, not necessarily sure that it's enough to leapfrog him, in my opinion, over one of those top three. I'd be really interested to see what Joe Brady would do with Trey Lance in, in year one and year two. Because I do think that you know, even if they do lose Curtis Samuel in free agency, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, obviously Chris McCaffrey coming back healthy, Taylor Mouton on the tag. like There is some pieces there offensively where... It's a way better situation than what Philly's got right now. Like, if you're picking landing spots for Trey Lance between Carolina and Philadelphia, like, you're going to have more success in Carolina out of the gate. But defensively, still, the Panthers are a long ways away. They've drafted well. I think there's a lot of guys that could play better in year two, like Gross Matos, Derek Brown, Jeremy Chin. I think you could see them have some development on the back end defensively. But offensively, they're in a good place. Like, you get a quarterback that has some, like, ceiling-level traits like Lance does. Well, don't say ceiling. Sorry, don't say ceiling. High traits. Good traits. <laughs> High traits. All right. Um, moving to S-D-I-N-O-N. Should the Dolphins picks? Should the Dolphins pick Sewell at three and then Bateman or Moore at 18 or 36? Both. Do both. That'd be sweet. I mean, do all three, 18 and 36. So get Sewell at three, Bateman at 18, and then Rondo Moore at 36. That's yes. hot. That's real hot. That's... Kind of, I mean, that's what the Broncos did last year. They gave Drew Locke no excuse developmentally. But they're still making excuses for him. And they're still making excuses for him, sadly. But that's what you got to do with the young quarterback. You got to find that out. You can't be Daniel Jones in it with the Giants right now, where you're making every excuse in the book for him because you haven't provided him any situation that you think is going to be viable for him to win. And you will. And when you draft a guy that highly, you will make every single excuse in the book for your guy. You want people to have that strong, inherent 
you're tied to, there's some sort of bias that I'm not, I can't come up with off the top of my name, but they, they want their previous decisions to work out and you'll do anything to justify them. It's kind of what the bears did. Confirm your priors. Yeah. So, and I definitely don't do will that. not forget how much the, you know, Giants fan base did not want a wide receiver in 2020. Like they did not want a wide receiver. A lot of Giants fans wanted an offensive tackle or another position. And now they're like desperately clawing for Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle to fall to them. And like that is the opposite of the situation you want to be in. Take the best player available all the time. And Andrew Thomas was our top ranked tackle. It wasn't a bad pick by any means, but don't get, I think, again, just don't get locked into needs for your team. Take players that are ranked highly on your board at valuable positions in the first round. And I, and I will say this about the Sewell at three conversation and us saying, you know, I, we'd like to trade down because obviously I have a bunch of needs. But every year there's not a Penny Sewell. Like I'm not, if you draft, if you sit there and draft Penny Sewell, home run. You're happy as can be. And the pick value charts would say pick three, is only you know XX value if you draft quarterback, XX value if you don't draft quarterback, and it's way lower if you don't draft quarterback. But sometimes Luke Jokel is the top tackle on the board when you get to pick two or pick three. Sometimes Dante Fowler is the top edge on the board. There's not always a Chase Young or a Penny Sewell. You should be thanking your lucky stars that there's a Penny Sewell that you can be there and draft. So we say, you know, trade down from that. You're not going to recruit your value. You might be able to actually with the Penny Sewell. You might just want to stay there and make that pick because you don't find blue chip talent it's, it's difficult to find in free agency. It's difficult to find it outside the top five to 10 in NFL drafts oftentimes. So uh, I, I'm not going to blame them for sitting there and taking that pick, just like I wouldn't blame Washington last year for sitting there and taking Chase Young. And I think that perspective and contextual analysis where you're comparing prospects to previous draft classes and looking at him as like individual, like not like this is the best tackle in this class, but how good is he overall yeah. comes with like, I think being in the game for a while. Cause I think when you first start looking at the NFL draft, and you first start evaluating talent. I feel like you're in that position where every single year there's good players, but eventually you need to have this like high level view of, Hey, this he's, a, he's the best tackle in this class, but how good is he compared to previous, you know, previous classes yes. and future classes, because you don't want to lock into, I need an edge. We'll take the best edge that falls to us. Because sometimes the best edge in 2020 is like the 16th ranked edge in 2018 or whatever it may be. Like you have to have, you have to have that like contextual analysis to go. Before we jump to the next mailbag question, I wanted to react to some live news here before the weekend. Chiefs have released Eric Fisher, which I think was expected considering that he's coming off an injury and do a pretty heavy cap number. This is what they had to do unless they wanted to kick the can this is the only move they really could make to get under the cap yeah i think they would either have to like extend him and push some of that money down the road maybe go void year action which brad spielberger will talk about when we interview him but i do think that this was the move that we kind of expected because the chiefs are need to get under the cap and need to make some moves do you think do you think again and we've talked a lot about tackle at 31 to the kansas city chiefs don't lock into need but i think this value is really going to make sense for the chiefs at 31 get that fifth year option on a valuable position at like like tackle and get Tevin Jenkins or um, maybe Walker Little of Stanford, like go get Sam Cosme of Texas, Alex Leatherwood, like go get a, you know, tackle at 31 if the value makes sense. Yeah, I mean, they have Lucas Nyang who they drafted True. third last year. The gangly Bradley. octopus guy, the guy yeah. whose technique is just all over the place. <laughs> but I think this kind of locks them in at this point because they're in a pretty strong Super Bowl window. They've paid a lot to get this roster that they have right now. Yeah, I'm actually more interested to see where Fisher ends up because he could still be a nice piece for like a Super average Bowl. Average to above average tackle in the NFL yeah, and he, have a ton he, of value. He's not going to cost a ton because of that injury, but down the stretch for someone next year, he's been about six straight years of plus pass protection. That's very valuable for a contender. 
if he can play the second half of the season. So I'm actually very curious to see where he ends up because he'll be very good value, I'd imagine, for what he could do for a team in a Super Bowl run. And we've said this before. You don't have to be elite at all five positions along the offensive line. You just It's a weak link unit where you just don't want to have a guy yes. that's an obvious you know, guy who can't pass protect. But getting an Eric Fisher, a guy who will be, when he comes back from injury, most likely an average to above average pass protector at left tackle, that has a ton of value. And I think teams should jump at that, specifically contenders. All right. This is from Nerds Like Beer 2. My question as an Atlanta fan what would be the franchise overall difference for Atlanta staying at four and presumably getting fields versus the cost of going up to two for Wilson if the Jets want to stay with Darnold? What would it take to jump from four to two? So for the Bears to jump from three to two, which the, the one spot... For Trubisky. Tra- the one spot trades always crack me up. Yeah, in 2017 for Trubisky, they had to give up a 2017 third, a 2017 fourth, and a 2018 third. That was just go from three to two. So I would tack on a second. a second to that at least to get that spot. Now, they're close enough. Wilson Fields close enough on our board. I wouldn't do that at all. But there's a pick in between you that is very hotly been rumored as a trade spot with the Miami Dolphins there that the Panthers, Broncos, someone could be going up there, 49ers, to go get that the other one that doesn't get picked at number two. So... Do you do it if you're a Falcons? I think you just let the board fall. You need, you need these picks. You need young talent. And I think you just let the board fall and hope that guy does come to you. Or even if it does fall, and then you sit there and get Trey Lance if you really want to be in this quarterback class. Because Trey Lance doesn't make it to pick 12 every year where you're likely to be drafting next. I mean, pick 12 or later where you're likely to be drafting next year. All right, this is from Sammy Nemi. My question is, assuming that the Eagles don't take a quarterback at six, what do you think they should do? Should they trade down or pick someone like Kyle Pitts or if Jamar Chase falls? Do you think that Devontae Smith would be a bad pick at six? Thank you guys and keep up the amazing content. I'll start here. You don't trade down, I think, unless a quarterback is there at six. And if a quarterback is there at six, you probably should take him. <laughs> That's the thing. So like, I do think yeah. that Eagles fans hoping they trade down to allocate more players, like you're not, it's not going to happen unless one of the big four falls. And I don't think... And I think if one of the big four falls of the quarterbacks, like all the quarterbacks ahead of Mac Jones on PFF's board, you should take one. Because even if you like Jalen Hurts, we've talked about it a ton. You you want multiple swings of the bat quarterback position. It's never a bad thing to have good quarterbacks on your roster. You just traded Carson Wentz after the worst season we've ever seen from him for a third and a potential first-round pick. Like, yeah. go get quarterbacks. They have value. And if one doesn't pan out, you can trade him for a second rounder or even a first rounder in the future. You want a good thought exercise about quarterback value and why you should still be taking these shots at quarterbacks? Think about what you would give up right now, draft pick-wise, for Saquon Barkley. And then think about what you would give up draft pick-wise for Sam Darnold. One was about as good as you can do at one position. One was about as bad as you can do at one position. And the draft picks that you'd give up for each are not too dissimilar. They're not. Not at all. I think Sam Darnold ultimately gets traded for a second or a third round pick and I'm not trading a first for Saquon Barkley yeah. and the opportunity to pay him like the highest paid running back in the NFL that's what you have to factor in man that's interesting that is a good thought exercise okay, was, so I what do about the Eagles do at six um, so I think I had this take on the other pod Kyle Pitts right that was yeah. my take and I because he's sweet because he's fucking sweet <laughs> yeah uh, that's how I feel now Chase Smith probably not Waddle because he's can be a little redundant in your offense to Jalen Rager. They do a lot of the same things. But Chaser Pitts or Smith, yeah, your, your money. 
And, and the and the whole, yeah, you can wait to the second round to get one of those guys. Your wide receiver scouting has been kind of shit lately. You've been trying that, and it hasn't necessarily worked. So maybe get the guy that's very safe, shall we say. You feel very good about Chase or Smith being hits at the wide receiver position when it's a position you need to hit at, and they haven't necessarily done that in the second. So you're not projecting a third-year breakout for J.J. Ortega-Whiteside? No, I still am. Trust okay, me, okay, I still sorry. am. I this is sure. his year. Fair enough. All right, this is from GoDogs417. Love the pod. Wondering if you guys could, one, rank the best Power 5 conferences in football, and two, rank the best divisions in the NFL. Interesting. Secondly, it's Power 6 when you include Notre Dame. So SEC is number one. You got Notre Dame number two, the Division One Independence. This is a disastrous list. Number three is the Big Ten. Remove D1 Independence from the velocity. <laughs> number four is the Big 12. Number five is the Pac-12. Number six, the ACC. You're putting ACC at six? It's just Clemson. I mean, think about the other programs. I put ACC over Pac-12 at the least. No, Pac-12 is better depth. You got programs. What you're looking for in a conference, got, though. Like, do you want what, what I'm thinking about is which conferences have legitimate contenders to pursue a national oh. championship? The oh, that's Pac-12 not what I was thinking doesn't. of. Like, there's not a single team in the Pac-12 that's consistently pursuing. A I was national more saying breadth of uh, draft. What's the point here? of that, though? What's the point of like, oh wow, they have a lot of good teams? Like that that doesn't do anything for me. Okay, you're the you're the college football playoff hound that only cares about chips i only that's care not, about that's chips. not the point of that's not the point of college chips. that's not the that's, that's d- not the d- spirit of college notre football. dame is way off the reservation <laughs> if anything they should be lower than the pac-12 hey they've been to two playoffs and won a national championship in the last based decade. off ridiculous bias towards ridiculous they went 12 and 0 anyway okay. it was still a bad football team we're gonna go here. <laughs> Brady Quinn, get on the pod. <laughs> Where's Brady? Um, I'm not going to touch on that. Go into the NFL division. Okay, please. NFL divisions. This one's a little tougher because I was trying to project forward some. I think the AFC North is the best division in football. I think that one's kind of feel fairly clear cut. The only t- the only other division I'd say has maybe an argument is the NFC West at the moment. So that's my one and two. Then AFC South at three with Trevor Lawrence, Jags on the come up. Obviously the Texans on the come down, but. I think you got three very solid teams then there with the Jags, Titans, and Colts. Uh, AFC West gets the four spot. Chiefs obviously carrying that. AFC East, the five spot. I, I think they'll have, obviously with Zach Wilson coming in there, Zach Wilson, I have a penciling it. Whatever quarterback they have coming in there, Jets on a turnaround, Dolphins coming up, Bills, obviously very good. And I think that Patriots are going to try to turn things around this year. They're going to try to add over the course of this offseason. NFC North, NFC South, NFC East to close it out. NFC has some some tough teams now. And with the Saints maybe on a free fall, the Falcons maybe on a lull here. I think those and uh, I think those two divisions could be the worst two in football, the South and the East. I like it. Uh I think there's some I'm contemplating whether or not I would want to switch the AFC West and AFC South. And, and, and give them a little bit more credit for the Kansas City Chiefs and then also Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert, Chargers too. Yeah. Um, but then you have, like, the doormats, like Denver and Las Vegas, that, like, aren't going to consistently pursue yeah, I think deep they're postseason just, runs. Yeah, I think they're just... Those are the 7-9, and 8-8 eight eight teams, 9-7. Yeah. and seven. All right, looking at AICK and, like, 51s. <laughs> I know you guys would probably say my beloved Raiders are more than one successful offseason away from being a legitimate playoff threat in the AFC. But regardless... They're going to approach this spring with their sights on the postseason. Oh, so, so maybe he meant wouldn't say. Do you think their best option would be to trade down from 17 and acquire as many defensive players via the draft as possible within reason? And do you think that a trade down from 17 that Mayock slash Gruden, would, would they even consider that trade down? Any chance they would even have a trade partner there? 
I would hope so. I would hope they consider trade down. I don't know if they would. Every team because should. well, they already draft second rounders in the first anyway. So why not just load up on them in the second? Um, I mean, if you're going to take consistently take reaches like consensus reaches, you might as well just kind of come down the board a little yeah. bit. So they re- they they traded down for Colton Miller, I believe, was mm-hmm. the last time. Um, that wasn't was that that wasn't Mayock's first draft. That wasn't Mayock's. That was draft, Gruden's right? first was draft. Gruden's first draft. Well, Reggie McKenzie was technically and the Reggie GM, McKenzie but I don't GM. think he was making a lot of decisions. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love it, and I'd love to invest in that defense. But now you got this whole offensive line problem to fix as well, and it's a deep tackle class, deep interior offensive line class. I don't think you can ignore any position. I think you just got to play that board as it falls in this year. Losing Richie Incognito, Trent Brown, Gabe and Jackson. Gabe Jackson creates at least, at the very least, a problem along the offensive line. Nelson Aguilar is a free agent. Henry Ruggs needs a big leap in year two. Mm-hmm. Hunter Renfro is purely a slot type. You have Darren Waller, Derek Carr, and Josh Jacobs as like your three like core pieces offensively. And you could argue that... like. Like Derek Carr maybe isn't a top five quarterback, but he's definitely in that eight to twelve range when he's at his best, and we saw that this past year. But like then you go to the defensive side, and there's not a single player on defense that you feel all that confident being top eight to twelve at their position. Would you? Is there a single player on the Raiders defense no, that's even I mean, top there, fifteen there at not, their position? There's not one. That obviously again is a, and I've said this, I've had this take multiple times. People see some of the takes that the Raiders should trade Derek Carr, that Derek Carr's not good. That's not it. Derek Carr is good. The problem is he's like your only good player. Mm. And he's not so good that he can lift this roster you know, onto his back. He's good. Get some value for him. I think you could get a first in exchange for Derek Carr, especially with how favorable his contract is now. And then reset. Because you, again, don't have a good football team. Derek Carr is good. If you're trading Derek Carr, it's because he is good. You're getting a first-round pick for him because mm. he is good. The problem is he's not good enough to carry an absolutely atrocious roster both defensively and now offensively. Their offensive line used to be a strength. Brown, Incognito, Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson. like They had four like legitimate top five to ten players at each position. Now it's completely trounced, and now you're even in a worse spot than you were before. And if Nelson Aguilar walks in free agency, which I don't think would be dumb for him to do, I think there will be teams throwing some money at him, and he could probably be in a better situation than what Las Vegas is in now. I mean, you're looking at, what, Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs, and Hunter Renfro at receiver next year? A little scary. Yep. A little scary, fellas. A little scary. All right. From Billy, or no, Big Willie. <laughs> Sorry, Billy. I wish it was Billy. Big Willie 04. Who should the Niners target in the mid to late rounds of the draft? So they've had some success with kind of athletes that weren't either featured or kind of out of position. George Kittle obviously comes to mind. Fred Warner comes to mind in the later on Warner, third rounder, Kittle, a fifth rounder. So I think guys that fit that who have you know nice all-around athletic profiles and then maybe won't the nfl won't be as high on for one reason or another at positions that obviously they couldn't even illinois guard slash center kendrick green freak athlete obviously plays at illinois not going to be scouted super highly not going to be didn't come out with the hype of a trey smith only really this past year turned it on only really one year of good production there at illinois i think he could be in the mix, especially with their need along the interior of the offensive line, um, probably in third, fourth type of round. And then I'll say Syracuse Trill Williams as well. Guy who played slot cornerback there, but really profiles as an outside cornerback, but especially in that 49ers scheme. Bruce Bellman's Freaks list member, I, I honestly think is, I, I kind of like his tape at slot. He's a very physical player, has that STI that you love. So 
What? <laughs> speed, toughness, and uh, intensity. Intensity. There you go. That was an old Daniel Jeremiah scouting term. DJ you were telling term. me that this morning. Yeah. An SCI. What did you? How'd you phrase it? An SCI you love. Yeah. How many SCIs have you had that you love? Mm, no zero. comment. Don't comment on that. We got All the twenty-two-year-old right. listening, so you know <laughs> your prospects. <laughs> Oh, I still love the age conversation. People I don't, don't know how old. I don't you love. Are. I don't love the age conversation. Tell the, tell, tell the listeners how old you are. They know. I'm thirty years old. Thirty years old. Living the dream too. Living the 30, absolute 31, dream. Two days before the draft. Trill Williams, I don't think is being talked about a ton in this class. And I think originally when I turned on this tape after seeing him on the Bruce Feldman's list, I was like, oh my god, this guy's a roller coaster, just like Cisco. <laughs> and there's a lot of like, what are we doing, Trill? But when you go back and think about him as like a day two player with all this tools, athleticism, and maybe playing him at outside corner start to get a little bit more excited about him as a prospect. Yeah. I don't know what his like STI is exactly, and I don't really want to get into that I background. Love That's not in the draft guide, by the way. I do the backgrounds for the draft guide. I don't look at STIs. Uh, this is from... Mm. It's, it's protected by HIPAA. <laughs> That's true. This is from mm, OGVG, JNXGB. That's my mom's name, actually. If Trayvon Morg falls to the Broncos pick in the second round, should they take him? I feel like it would be a great pickup for him to learn behind Kareem and Simmons. Yes, take him. I mean, Kareem's versatile. That guy can play slot. He can do a lot of other things. He can be, you can have mortgage be like a dimebacker if you really wanted to. So, yeah, that's, that would be an exceptional value, and I think he'd be a good scheme fit, too. So. He has a second follow-up. If, he, if you know, Morick doesn't fall to them, who should they take in the second? I've been saying Asante Samuel for every Fangio disciple. is like, that's your fit. That's your guy you want in that scheme. So the Brennan Staley, now whoever the DC is for the Packers, um, those those teams, that's who I, I would love. Asante Samuel to go to a team like that. But low-key, they could use tackle help. Yeah, Juwan James, dude hasn't played in two years. We, we don't know what he's going to be coming back here. Uh, so Sam Cosme, I would love to see as a possible, maybe maybe not replacement, but just like some assurance because you're not going to get a tackle class like this every year. Take advantage of it. And that's Sam Cosme, Texas offensive tackle. All right, three yes. more questions here, and then we got to wrap. We continue to grind through these, but we're going to have to do something. Do we have another like 20 pages of reviews? And that doesn't even include the international questions. We have to do something. It, the double podcast is not even doing enough. The we're bonus mailbag time. isn't yeah. doing enough. We're going to have to find a way to get better here. Maybe we just go live all night one night and just crush these things. A 24-hour mailbag. We have to think of something. All right, this is from Ben Shimmer. I have a question about, and he has two questions. I have a question about a potential game-breaking offensive philosophy. I thought up on draft night to justify the Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts in round two. I'm excited for this. After hearing a Taysom Hill package on steroids, you're a big steroids guy, was being developed. I want, I'm wondering if you think there is any viability to using him as a passer out of the backfield at running back or just the implementation of running backs who can throw. Pitches could essentially serve as football, as a rollout for the passer or a run if that's available. Could be stupid, but also if it's a work of genius, maybe answer privately so nobody cha- steals my idea. What are your thoughts originally? I love it. I kind of like idea, it too. The rollout. When he mentioned rollout, I was like, wait a second, that could work. Trey Lance and Jalen Hurts, and that's your one-two. Think about it. You have to zig at some point. You know, yes. As the NFL continues to zag, you have to zig. Yeah. And is this it? I don't know. Fortune, we're trying. The Fortune Eagles are going to be a dumpster fire next year. Fortune favors the bold. Innovation is the root of... There's a saying about that or something. I don't know. Jesus. Uh, if if it doesn't work Jesus. too, you just you just move on from it. You know. Yeah. If if it doesn't, you know, you go four. Give it four weeks, four games, 
And if it's complete track, because no one knows how to stop that right now. I don't think. Yeah, you break that out in the playoffs. That's when you break it out. Oh, really? Save it right, all. When the Eagles go to the playoffs next year? Can't wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is his second question. One more question about Hurts slash QBs in general. From everything I've heard about Jalen Hurts, he has incredible work ethic, squats really well. I've heard that as well. And saw most of his progression late in college at Oklahoma. You guys are low on him, though. And I was wondering what your perspective perspectives are on work ethic and QB development after their rookie year. Can I start? Yeah. I think development, work ethic matters. Absolutely. But what is, let's think about what the ceiling is for Jalen Hurts. You know, like what, oh, you hate ceiling. I get it. But view him as a prospect at his peak. I like thinking about their peak. And you, you've heard Bucky Brooks talk about grade the flashes. Thinking about them peaking. You talk about Jalen, you know, Bucky Brooks grading the flashes. Like yeah. even the flashes for Jalen Hurts aren't better than probably the top four quarterbacks in this class. Like it's not like the flashes, the high end, the best Jalen Hurts we've seen isn't is still not that's the thing. that caliber of quarterback and could he be better than we've ever seen yeah but are you as an evaluator and as a, you know as a developer thinking we can make jalen hurts better than he's ever been even in a single play or element i don't know yeah. that's tough and it, excuse me kind of goes back to the steph curry my, my steph curry theory you could shoot all day every day for the next five years you're not going to shoot like steph curry you're not you, you can develop into a you know a borderline NBA three-point shooter, you're not going to develop into Steph Curry. You're, you're not going to develop that level of accuracy. And so when you're starting, some guys you, some guys just have some of that or you don't. And so when you're starting being as inaccurate as he is, and he doesn't have a monster arm either, he was 40th out of 44 qualifying quarterbacks in terms of accuracy on target rate of his passes last year. Only Dwayne Haskins, Turbo, Carson Wentz, and Jake Luton were lower. Turbo? <laughs> is that Trubisky? That's Mitch Trubisky, yeah, yeah. Um, that's just like you're not you're never gonna be you're never gonna turn into i mean josh allen got more accurate he's still not gonna turn into like drew Brees. it's like you could play beard eye for the next five years you're not gonna catch die like me you know like you're just not gonna get to that level if you continue to do that we need to play beard eye with the fans hey, could i get some feedback on this in the youtube comments or in the reviews mike and i have been throwing this idea around we're talking about like listenership and retention and we want to do more engagement stuff like listener mail you've been talking about that i've right. been talking about that because i'm i'm the business here i'm the business side you're like i just show up and i ask your draft questions but i'm the hammer let's get some, you're the hammer <laughs> let's get some feedback on if post-covid vaccination city we were in, say, different schools around the country. Yeah. We go travel to Notre Dame. We go travel to University of Tennessee. Ohio State. Ohio State, Clemson. And we were tailgating out there, not recording a podcast, not doing anything. Would you guys play die with us? Because I'm just looking to play some die. And if PFF, if it can be on PFF's dime, I want to do it. You know, we bring producer Quinn out there, maybe producer Dave. That could be a decent, you know, decent opportunity. Shows. We'll yeah. see. Just give us some feedback. We need it. All right. Last question. We got to wrap. Big Blue Drew. For the Giants, assuming the top four pass, pass catchers are off the board, Pitts included. Okay, I thought he meant including Bateman. I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> Would you like to see the G-men go corner with Sertan or Farley or offensive line like Slater? The offensive line looks shaky with Solder and Zeitler as potential cap casualties. Fun fact, Zeitler's gone. Yeah. But the value of second lockdown outside corner could make our secondary dangerous. I, I agree. Going off that, how do you gauge bumping tackles inside the guards? For instance, if the Giants take Slater and put him out, put him outside, Matt Pert looked decent last year, and we might shift him inside. Pert inside doesn't I he like, have insane length though? I mean, do yeah, I honestly like him better inside though. He does have great length, but I, I think ultimately his feet would be better off. Really, just a little slower. But they they need mul I they have to address O line prior to the draft now. Say whatever you want about Zeitler's cap hit 
and being a lot this year, he still was your best pass protecting offensive lineman last year. You just lost your best pass protecting offensive line on what was the worst pass protecting offensive line in the NFL. That means you. That means you're going to need some help there. That means you're going to need a lot. You need at least, at least two guys prior to the draft, and then in the draft you could use another. So I, I do think that that is where I would go. I would sign two of these guys. Any any two will do. Any two are an upgrade from what you got along the interior at least. To not pigeonhole yourself because you don't want to be just saying. Even Slater could, one, be off the board. Two, just being like, oh, I have to draft Rashawn Slater. If, if like, a Kyle Pitts falls to you. If yep. a guy that really is special falls to you that you would otherwise want, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself that into pick number 11. I'm going to sneak in one more question because it's an easy answer. From Kang Forever. I think we hear plenty about the top-end receivers, Chase, Waddle, Smith, Bateman. Can we get some more in-depth analysis on Tier 3 receivers like Terrace Marshall, Tylan Wallace, Mario Terry? We just did our wide receiver position overview. Kang Forever, go back and listen to episode 164. That is our wide receiver class position overview. Go check that out. We talked a lot about Marshall, Wallace, and Terry. We'll be doing every position. I think Monday is going to be running backs, tight ends. Then after that, we're going to be offensive line. And then defensive line will be a week after that, linebackers corner safeties you know all the positions i'm just listening off yeah <laughs> that's what you get here at pff i know all positions on the football field i had to i had to cool man well this has been fun the listener mailbag we continue to grind it through i'm gonna think on our end on how we can answer more questions you guys provide feedback on the tailgate tour and how we can maybe answer more questions i don't know help us out here but if you want your question answered by 2026 um <laughs> leave a five-star review on apple podcasts and drop your question in there until next time austin gale producer mike quinn in spirit mike renner and producer dave gotta bring up producer dave until next time two for one drafts now joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is a close friend of mine and PFF salary cap analyst, probably your go-to analyst for salary cap information during March, and it's Brad Spielberger, PFF underscore Brad, on Twitter. going to do a little bit of a cold open here. Where I really want to start is how in the hell are the New Orleans Saints going to get over the cap? I mean, giving Marcus Williams the franchise tag, which I think is valued at somewhere in the $10.1, $10.2 million range, again, adds to this mystery, this wizardry that Mickey Loomis is going to have to pull to get ahead of the cap. Like what exactly are, is it void years? Is it, I don't know. What are the saints going to do to get out of this situation? I mean, the saints are truly coming for my job. It's kind of messed up if you think <laughs> about it, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, they're showing that at the end of the day, if, if you want a player, you can keep them like the, the cap is a constraint and, and that it will limit things at certain times. They tried to sign Jadavion Antony last offseason and couldn't. So Saints fans are going to flood my mentions this week because I said it would be impossible to tag Marcus Williams. Uh-oh. Like, yes. Yeah. Oh, no. But anyway, so what they're going to have to do, they already started this morning. They already restructured uh, Andres Pete and Malcolm Jenkins' contract, and they're going to continue to plug in. They already restructured Cam Jordan. They're going to restructure Michael Thomas probably. Uh, they're going to have to extend Ryan Ramchick and or Marshawn Lattimore. Like, we can go down the list. I can spend, like, the entire segment just talking about what they're going to have to do just to get above water. Um, with Williams specifically, it's interesting. I think he has some leverage in that an extension obviously helps them. You know, he can drop that cap number down. Very true. Um, they all, yeah, and they also, one last thing, just to, you know, for a classic shout-out to Mickey Loomis and their cap guy, Kai Harley. Like, they did something I've never seen last year with Sheldon Rankins, which was he added void years to his fifth-year option, which I've never seen before. Um, so they might try to convince Marcus Williams to add void years to his franchise tag. The thing there, though, is it's not – you can you can convert money and push down the line unilaterally as a team. You cannot add void years unilaterally. It's effectively a contract extension, so to speak. So 
to convince Marcus Williams, say, hey, we didn't extend you. We didn't give you the multi-year deal. We're going to slap a tag on you for below your market value. But, hey, can you do us a favor and slap some, some void years on your deal and, and help us on the cap? He might not be amenable to that. Um, but, yeah, they're going to do everything you know in the book. For the idiots that didn't graduate from Tulane Law, how the fuck do void years work? Like how how because I saw the Levante David signing where he got signed he signed a five year deal but three void years and I think Big Ben's contract is like that. Like what exactly is going on and what? Okay, here here's how we will break it down. How do the teams benefit from void years and how do the players not just like get absolutely boned by void years? Yeah, so JJ Watt had it as well. He also signed a you know a five year deal that was actually just two years. Him and Levante Davis dealers are very similar. So the reason why both sides like it, okay. So from a team side, obviously you clear cap space, and what you're doing with a void year is it's not a real contract year; it's a dummy year, and all it's doing is holding prorated bonus money. So we'll use Levante David as an example. Um, he signed a two year, twenty five million dollar deal. I don't know if we know the details yet, but let's say there's a ten million dollar signing bonus. If he just had the two years on the deal. There would be five million in 2021 and five million in 2022 from that signing bonus. By adding the three void years on the end, it's just a two million dollar cap hit in all five years. So they save three million up in 2021 by pushing money down the line. Um, yeah, and so that's why they do it. And then from the player perspective, it doesn't mess with cash flows, so they're still getting their money when it's due. He's still only under contract for two years. What the void actually means is that. After 2022, there's a date typically like, you know, a week after the Super Bowl where the 2023 through 2025 years will just void. They'll just disappear. There will be a dead cap charge that gets accelerated up. Um, But, yeah, so from the player perspective, they don't mind it. The cash is the same, all of that. From the team side, it's obviously beneficial. Um, I've had people ask me, like, why is this allowed? Why is this legal? I couldn't give you a good answer. Um, But no party's against it, so I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. So that then, that prorated bonus – is after they're off the team that third year so it's in these two-year slash five-year deals there would be still a dead cap charge that third year is that how that works right so then for these ones because there's three like 2023 through 2025 would all accelerate up on 2023 yeah and there'd be a dead cap charge after the guy's already gone so is is that like right now uh, mitch with sheldon rankins sheldon rankins has a dead cap hit on the saints right now um after his fifth year option year you know for example is that what the steelers did with big ben how did they create space in that regard Yep, they did the same thing. So he did agree to a minor pay cut, but also same thing. They, they create, added a bunch of void years, turned a bunch of salary and roster bonus, which hits in the current year, into a signing bonus and kicked it down the line. Yep, same exact thing. That's, so, a, that's another clarification, too, that you know when you see you know t- players agree to convert some of their salary to bonuses, the reason that they do that, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're the analyst here. You're the salary cap guy. The reason that they do that is that that future cap hit for, say, in this case, 2021, immediately goes back to, like, 2020. Because you made it in a bonus for the 2020 league year, you get to count it against last year's cap instead of this year's cap. Is that how that works? That was a particular quirk with Roethlisberger for the whole, like, this offseason. Basically, there's there's cash, um, there's cap spending tranches of years. This, we're getting into the nitty-gritty now. I love so it. Like, I'm in. There is, there is a cap floor. So, so this, is what this, this is what the cap floor means. And basically... Over 2021 through 2023, teams have to spend at least 90% of the cumulative three-year cap. Um, And so how that's accounted for basically is you want money to hit like starting March 18th. So Dak Prescott, for example, they might wait to officially sign his deal until March 18th so that it counts in that three-year tranche. Otherwise, they're, they're adding money into the, you know, 2017 to 2020, you know, from the old CBA, the old kind of cap minimum. So... Um, yeah, if that, that gets into salary cap floor, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so 
the tag deadline was yesterday, I believe, and we saw a number of different guys tag, but notably Kenny Galladay, who I think everyone and their mother thought was going to get tagged, did not get tagged. What would you think was the process for the Lions not tagging him? And do you think tag and trades, which we thought even in the worst case scenario, they would tag and trade Kenny Galladay. Do you think those aren't going to necessarily be viable this year? Whereas I think the Bears and on Robinson, that's what they're kind of banking on with the tag there that they just put on him. Yeah, so I think Galladay just ended up making it very clear. Like, I do not want to be here. Like, okay. even if you do try to work with an extension, like, I, I just don't want to be a Detroit Lion. I mean, they've been Can't so bad it. for his entire career there, and, and essentially now they're starting a rebuild. So, like, I, I get it. Um, he's going to be 28 years old, you know, good receiver, battled through injuries last year, and, and tried to play for a hapless franchise. So, um, I think he just made it really clear. Like, m- maybe he wasn't going to show up and say, hey, I'm just, if you tag me, I'm just not going to play this year. I'm going I'm to pull Le'Veon Bell, whatever the case was there. So um, they ultimately decided to just let him walk. Um, they're not going to sign anyone in free agency, so hopefully get a third-round compensatory pick when Galladay does sign a huge deal elsewhere. Um, as for the tag and trade discussion, I, I mean – Teams can fit a franchise tag on the t- on the cap. And also, if you're going to trade for a guy, let's say Allen Robinson, if a team does pony up and trade for Allen Robinson, odds are they're also signing him to an extension as a part of that trade. And then, you know, again, doing all the cap manipulations we just talked about. So I think it's only less likely in that, like, trades in general, I think, are just going to be down because you're parting with draft capital. And it's it, we just found out this morning the cap's $182.5 million. So it's going to be hard to fit money on the cap. In, in the first place. So I think teams are going to try to say, hey, well, normally we'd offer you, you know, a second round and a fourth round for Allen Robinson, but we're, we're doing you a favor by clearing 18 million off the books for you, Chicago. So now we're going to offer you, you know, a second and a sixth or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and I don't see why teams would take less of a trade package just to clear cap, you know, so I think that might work against it. Something I wanted to ask about, you know, this situation is of the guys who were tagged yesterday, who do you feel like is most likely or who are some of the guys you feel are most likely to get an extension done before obviously that deadline? I think Leonard Williams sticks out. I think he's the big one uh, in New York. You know, they already oh, wow. was a second franchise tag for him. They traded from the Jets, third and a fifth round pick to get him, then tagged him last year. Um, slapped a $19.35 million tag on him for this year, which I have to guess is kind of around what he's looking for. I think he's looking for $20 million per year, um, which I know some pe- people scoff at. But, I mean, he's a sixth overall pick that consistently has been <laughs> dominant against the run, finally had a good year, you know, against the pass, um, getting after the passer. So that's, that's probably what he's looking for and at this point I think he's going to get something close to that um so yeah the Giants are just not in a good cap situation they don't have players to pay because they don't have talent on their roster like I don't see why they wouldn't just go ahead and extend him um you know and then him and you know uh Dexter Lawrence will kind of be that 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 interior for going forward uh and then I guess one other one would be Justin Simmons uh in, in Denver I think they are working towards a deal I think they're probably pretty close. He'll, I think he will top the safety market. He'll beat out Buda Baker as the highest paid safety in the NFL. Um, but I think it would be smart. I think teams paying these free safeties now would be smart um, because there's going to be a wave of guys coming up that's going to, you know, if, you, if you're the first one in, for example, Tredavious White signed for $17.25 million per year. It was the highest paid corner on the market. Everyone's like, oh, wow, he's the highest paid cornerback. Wow, that's, that's kind of, you know, Bills, is he, is he really that good? Boom, a month later, Jalen Ramsey, $20 million per year. Marlon Humphrey, $19.5 million per year. So being first to market but when you know there's a boom coming, which it is at safety, um, can be smart. I mean, Mike has said that a handful of times that right now the NFL 
significantly undervalues the safety position. I think getting in before that boom, I think, is very smart. The other thing I wanted to add, and we talked to you a little bit, I think, on our serious show about some tag candidates and those things, and you brought up Aaron Jones. And now the Green Bay Packers have decided to not tag him. He'll likely test free agency. The thing I don't know is that I do think the NFL is catching up on the idea that paying running backs big-time money oftentimes puts you in a bad situation. Then you factor in, I feel like, the evidence we've gathered over the past three years of like big time running backs that get paid a ton of money, not necessarily living up to that value. And there's $182.5 million cap. Do you think Aaron Jones doesn't necessarily break the bank on the open market? Do you think teams are smarter than that? And he signs a more, you know, a, a less than monster deal, like less than monster deal that maybe some are expecting. I do think teams are catching up. I think we saw last offseason um, with the extensions to guys like Devin Cook, guys like Derrick Henry, even Kamara, the numbers are inflated. Like it says $15 million per year, but it's not. It's about the same as those guys around $13 million. So I think, yes, like he's not going to break the bank. The, the Le'Veon Bell situation in free agency, like I don't think guy, a guy that reaches the market at that position, um, you know, all it takes is having a couple suitors that drive the price up. Um, so I still think he's going to get a nice deal. Um, but I think he's going to settle in that same range, kind of that 13, 14, whereas historically you'd say like, okay, really good player at the position, hitting free agency, still relatively young, um, not a ton of tread on his tires, you know, had Jamal Williams, you know, and, and, and last year, AJ Dillon kind of spelling him a bit. So you'd think he would push for 15, 16, kind of close to McCaffrey, not quite McCaffrey. I don't think that's going to happen. I think teams are smart, smart enough at this point um, to not do that. But he is also the only running back on the market, really. I mean, it's him and Chris Carson and like and James Conner, I guess. And, and that's it. So um, I can see a team like Miami. Um, you know, maybe get a little bit desperate and maybe kind of jump at the opportunity to get the only guy in the class. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they're going to break the bank. Mike, I, I think the next thing I wanted to talk about, or not Mike, Brad. Brad, the next thing I wanted to talk about was a piece you wrote for PFF.com. You have, which I think is one of the better pieces you wrote. And I, you write a lot of really good content for PFF.com, but I think more so than ever, every single March, no one understands what the fuck is going on with like incentives, incentive-laden contracts, compensatory picks, uh, guaranteed, total guaranteed versus guaranteed at signing, all this sort of stuff. You wrote salary cap terms and tricks to know ahead of free agency. I would definitely encourage you to check it out on pff.com. But something that I found interesting in there is that you talk about incentives and those that are likely to be earned and unlikely to be earned. Talk, break that down for me. Yeah, definitely. So this is something we're going to see all offseason long. Um, in that there's different ways to account for them on the cap. So first of all, what, what, what do you determine not likely to be earned versus not likely to be earned? Use J.J. Watt as an example. He had five sacks last year. So if the incentive said J.J. Watt will earn $1 million if he has four or more sacks, so less than what he had last year with five, that would be likely to be earned because we'd say, okay, well, he beat that last year, so it's likely he's going to do it again. If it was six or more sacks and he gets a million dollars, you'd say, okay, this is not likely to be earned. It's higher than he had last year. Why that matters is that if the incentive is likely to be earned when you sign it on the contract, it will count on the 2021 cap immediately. In that, let's, you know, for the Watt example, there'd be an extra $1 million on his cap hit for that four plus sack number. If it's not likely to be earned, it does not get counted on the cap during the 2021 season. What happens is at the end of the year, and this just happened last week, is called the annual adjustment, where basically the team goes through all of their incentives and their escalators and all these things and deals and say, okay, you know, this team, this player, you know, reached his incentive, so plus one million. This guy didn't hit his, so, you know, minus one million. They go back and forth, back and forth. So if you saw last week, the Buccaneers obviously had by far the biggest negative adjustment 
because all, all their guys had playoff incentives and, and Super Bowl incentives and all this stuff. So Brady alone made three point, I think three point three million dollars by himself just in hitting all these various incentives. But it didn't count on the cap during their Super Bowl run twenty twenty one season. It, it got accounted for at the end and will now be rolled over into twenty twenty two. Uh, or 2021, excuse me. So that's what we're going to see again this offseason where every incentive is probably going to be not likely to be earned. The guy can still earn the cash the same way, can still get paid out, but from a cap perspective, it won't it won't hit them until the following year. One more question for you, Brad, and then we'll let you go. I, I would love to get a breakdown on compensatory picks because you talk about you know the Detroit Lions with Kenny Galladay trying to get a third-round pick. Not only do they have to let him walk to have that compensatory pick? But you also speak to like they can't spend a lot in frenzy. So how does that like counterbalance each other and how do like compensatory picks actually work out? What is the formula? Yeah, so at a very high level, the, the way the formula starts is it's just unrestricted free agents lost um, versus unrestricted free agents gained. So how many guys did you, you know, that, that, that left your team as free agents and where did they sign elsewhere and how many guys did you sign? So not guys that got cut, not trades, just unrestricted free agents. And so... Hypothetically, Galladay will sign a contract that will be valued at a third rounder. So they're third through seven rounds based on the size of the deal. So we're saying th- third rounder for Galladay because I think he's going to sign 19, 20 million per year deal. Um, that's going to be near the top of the market, um, you know, for, among all positions. And so it'll be a value of third round comp pick. But let's say the Lions went out and signed, you know, a, an unrestricted free agent for $10 million a year. It doesn't matter. And it was fi- a fifth round comp pick. Those two would still cancel each other out. They would be net even. They'd have one gained, one lost, and those two players would cancel each other out. So you have to be very cognizant of that going into it. The Patriots have been gaming the system forever. Um, a couple other teams are kind of you know in the mix there as well. The Cowboys like to take advantage of it. The Packers love to take advantage of it. Um, but, yeah, there's a way more to it than that. But at the highest level, very simply, it's just – What'd you add? What'd you lose? Um, and the net determines what you're going to gain. I got to do a quick shout out. Nick Corte at OverTheCap.com is like the guru. If you want to know all the nitty gritty and all the all the details, follow him on Twitter at Nick Corte, and he's going to be going nuts with these comp pick things. Uh, he's the expert there. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think this is massive as we kind of approach free agency because it's definitely very complex. Some people think they know more than they do. Just look at like average dollars per year and feel really good about a contract, but guarantees matter. Incentives matter. What do they get in return? Compensatory picks, all that stuff. Brad, always a pleasure when, when our paths cross. Thanks again. Now joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is former Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman, a guy that I think we have to start with this, Rashad. A lot of people bring you up on Twitter. A lot of people talk about your game and compare you to a whole host of receivers, man. I've seen people say you got Michael Thomas to your game, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, and I'm sure you're on the internet as well seeing all these different things. Do you feel like any of those guys even give you justice or are you just wild, you know, are you amazed by the amount of people, you know, receivers they're comparing you to right now? Yeah, man, just to be compared uh, to those receivers is a, definitely a blessing. Um, I look up to all those guys a lot. You know, I try to implement um, a lot of what they do into my game. So uh, it's definitely a blessing to be in that conversation. I'd love to talk more, too, about kind of the the transition from 2019 to 2020. Because, you know, when, when you were working with Tyler Johnson, you played a lot on the outside. And then you saw beginning of the 2020 season, played a little bit more reps in the slot and then kind of transitioned more to the outside. How – Talk to me about the differences between playing on the outside versus playing in the slot at Minnesota and kind of what you've learned with the experience you had playing at those positions, uh, you know, this past year and years prior. Um, going to the slot was definitely uh, different for me. Um, I didn't play that much. I played there a little bit in 2019. 
Um, but I think I was prepared for a well, uh, especially just watching Tyler uh, play that position for a while, you know, watching him succeed, you know, he gave me a lot of tips, you know, I learned a lot from him. So uh, just going into that role, you know, it was cool. I was excited for it, uh, you know, uh, but it was different because um, I am primarily on the outside, but uh, I enjoyed it, you know, so, but thanks to Tyler, you know, he, he helped me out a lot in that area. You brought him up. I mean, he was one of my favorite wide receivers in the 2020 yeah. draft class. And I, I talked to him multiple times, talked about the combine. He was on this podcast as well. Highest graded receiver in college football in 2019. Absolutely absurd. He falls to the fifth round. And I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, with Chris Godwin potentially leaving for agency, Gronkowski, they're sitting on a gold mine in Tyler Johnson. Talk to me about what the Bucs are getting in Tyler Johnson. But Tyler, you know, you're going to complete receiver. You know, a lot of people questioning his speed, but, you know, uh, Tyler's a complete receiver. He His, uh, his football IQ is high. You know, he's not a run routes. He can catch the ball. Um, you know, he went he went fifth round, but, you know, they got a steal. Uh, he was overlooked. He was overshadowed, uh, in my opinion. Um, you know, but I think he's just going to continue to prove people wrong, just like he always do. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think you, you know, you've even had doubts about your speed. You know, you've received some flack from different analysts about your top speed and those things. And then you go, I think it was at, you know, Exos Pro Day, one of those things, clock a four three nine on the laser, prove those guys that you can be explosive, can come out of your, you know, come out of the 40 with a low time. How good did that feel? And, and what went into that process to train to get to that time? You know, it was, you know, I feel good about it now uh, looking back on it. Uh, you know, a lot of guys was questioning my speed, but at the same time, I knew I was fast. You know, my coach at Minnesota knew I was fast. The, pl- the players I played with, they knew I was fast. So, you know, uh, I went to Ed Souls and a uh, shout out to my trainer, Nick. Um, he did a good job of getting all, all of us prepared for, for the 40. And, you know, just went to work every day, you know, eventually paid off. That's awesome, man. And, and so if I could add to that too, what weight did you play the season at this past year? And then what weight are you working to this offseason? Uh, this past year, I played at 190. Um, the previous year, I played at 198, 2019. But when I got COVID, I lost uh, a lot of weight, so it was hard for me to get back up. Um, but now, uh, I'm going to try to stay in the, the 195, 198 range because um, that's what I was comfortable with playing in 2019. Oh, you know, I'm going to work on getting back in that uh, in that area so I can feel comfortable playing. And when you clocked that 439, were you around that 195 range? No, I was still low. I was like 192, 191. Gotcha. Makes sense. That definitely, you know, corresponds. Well, I didn't know you had COVID. Talk to me about that experience. That had to have been awful. My podcast co-host had COVID and said it was really tough, you know, for the multiple weeks. How, how was that? And how was overcoming that? It was definitely tough. You know, that, that was definitely like the main reason why I opted out, you know, people wondering why I opted out, but like I had COVID in June, you know, I opted out after that because I have asthma. So uh, I was down for like a week and a half. I had every symptom you could think of, you know, um, with there not being any answers uh, of playing football or uh, what COVID can do, you know, I opted out. Um, and then the Big Ten was like, you know, are we going to play? And then they put in safety protocols, which is like can test it daily, you know, make sure everybody's on the right track. So I opted in. Um, and then we had a COVID spike at Minnesota, you know, which caused the council games, you know, we was losing players left and right, you know, uh, I knew I was coming out probably. So um, I just didn't want to risk in COVID again while I was going to prepare for the draft, you know? Holy shit, man. I didn't know that. That's crazy to overcome yeah. that, lose that weight. And then, you know, I mean, you were smart to make that decision, honestly, to opt out of the season. You didn't, no one knows what the long-term effects of COVID-19 are. Honestly, man, that, I didn't know that. That is, I, that is I, wild. I, I, still, I, I still feel like nobody knows the answer to yeah. that. <laughs> That's, and, and you have asthma. I mean, holy fuck, dude, that's crazy. That is, uh, that's very interesting. Well, let's get off the COVID-19 stuff and talk more about your game. I, I don't, so regardless of whether it should be a weakness or not, the first thing that people bring up 
with you isn't your speed, it's your release package. It's how you get off the line of scrimmage. It's how you create separation early in the route. And I think that's where the Keaton Allen comparisons come out. That's where like the Allen Robinson comparison can come out. How often are you working on your release package and what exactly do you have to do to get to the level that you're at? Because I think it's film study. It's obviously, it's weight room. It's working your feet and those things, working off the field. But what exactly is your process to get better as a route runner, to get better as a, you know, a releaser off the line of scrimmage? I just think it's like, like you say, you know, it just takes a lot of preparation. Um, you can go put in the work and all that, but I also think that it just takes a lot of studying. Um, I study a lot of those guys you just named, you know, you throw Devontae Adams and Stephon Diggs in there. Um, you know, I watch well, let it, well, let it. Um, but you know, I'm doing the same thing to get better in that area. So, yeah, uh, you cut out for a little bit there. I'm not sure what happened, but I got you back now. But uh, I apologize for that. Um, looking at you know what what you said about getting better as a releaser, getting better at the line of scrimmage. What goes even beyond that? Once you're off the line of scrimmage, getting in and out of your breaks and all that stuff is also talked about at the receiver position. What exactly are you doing there to get better at the receiver position? I just think is it takes a lot of reps. Uh, you know, you got to get the feel from uh, of how you feel. Uh, when you're going inside your break points and things like that, uh, you just got to get enough reps at it that, that you're comfortable with it and that you can do it naturally. Uh, you know, everything comes with a consistency. You just got to work on like, uh, just, just work on everything, you know, just get get as many reps as you can. So that's why I stay out to practice. You know, I go in uh, yesterday, you know, work on those things. So um, it pays off. There you go, man. You, there you have it. I, I'd love to hear more too about what, what that film work has looked like this off season and how it's transitioned. Are you watching a ton of film on yourself? Are you watching film on those NFL guys that you spoke to? Is it, are you still like in it in terms of watching a ton of film? Oh yeah. Every day, you know, I, I go on YouTube uh, in my living room. I watch, I watch Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs and Keenan Allen. Um, I think those guys got the best release packages in the, in the league right now. So, um, you know, and I try to implement that, you know, uh, they're elite receivers in the NFL for a reason. Uh, you know, and I'll be soon to be there. So um, I'm just learning day by day, you know, and just try to put it in my game. And, and do you, I, I've talked to some receivers and even some pass rushers and offensive tackles that are looking at some of the opposing positions in the NFL, you know, watching some corners in your space. Do you watch any cornerback film in the NFL film to kind of like see what you're going to be going up against in the NFL? Oh, for sure. I watch a lot of Jalen Ramsey for sure. Um, I watch a lot of him just because I feel like he's the best corner all around. Uh, he's physical. He, he got good feet. You know, he, uh, he can do he can do everything that every corner in the league can do uh, at the best ability. So I study a lot of Jalen Ramsey. You know, guys that are unsuccessful against him must be really good receivers or good at their release package. You know, good at you know to just route details. So I do watch a lot of um, DBs too. You know, just to learn the tendencies and what what could help me at the next level. So, you know, we spoke to your release package. I think your ball skills are fantastic. You obviously have the speed. You proved that. I, I, you know, you're one of the few receiver prospects that I hear at PFF that we use the word complete with. You know, you have the, you know, the big names, the guys from Alabama, Waddle, Smith, and also Jamar Chase, who are talented in their own right. But you don't see the completeness that you see with yourself. Do you feel like your complete receiving ability is what kind of separates you in this class? Or what do you feel like? You scout yourself, man. What do you feel like your strength is? What's your key separator in this class for you? You just said it's yourself, you know, looking at myself, looking at my game. I do think I'm a complete receiver. Um, I am fast. Um, I can run routes, you know, uh, and I can catch the ball pretty well. Um, you know, I just got to continue to work on those things to separate myself, you know. But at the same time, I'm going to stay on my lane, you know, work on what I need to work on, you know, and just be the best me that I can be. And what are some areas we feel like you want to like prioritize improving before getting in the NFL? After watching guys like Jalen Ramsey, Stefan Diggs, Devontae, I'm seeing how, you know, the pros pros do it. Are there areas of their game that you see like, man, that's where I need to get better. That's where I need to improve. I just think from my perspective, you know, I just need to get better at blocking. 
Um, and that comes with getting stronger in the weight room. You know, I take the weight room very seriously in the offseason and in season, you know, because uh, I think that's how I can elevate my game is it just get stronger, you know, playing more physical. You know, in NFL, you're going to run the ball, so you got to be prepared to uh, prepared to block anybody, whether it's safety, linebackers, or corners. So I just think, you know, hitting the weight room hard, uh, staying consistent with that uh, can definitely elevate my game as well. Let's finish this with this, Rashad, and I really appreciate the time. Yeah. I-, I love asking prospects about, you know, their why, you know, their motivation to play the game, the motivation to make the sacrifices you have to make to pursue the NFL. You know, you have to do so much at the high school level, the collegiate level to get to this point. What is your motivation to pursue such, you know, a career in football? I would definitely say my mom, um, just growing up the way I did, seeing what she she went through, um, you know, just watching her continue to fight no matter what. Um, for NFL has always been my dream. So um, just getting there uh, would be, a goal of mine uh, to make her proud because it just proved that, you know, that I learned from her not to give up, you know, just, just keep pushing, um, you, you know, uh, that's what I've done all my life. And, you know, that's what my mom done all her life. So uh, just watching her do that, you know, it carried over to me and my brothers. So just making it there, you know, I know she'd be proud of me for that. So. Fantastic stuff, Rashad. Really appreciate the time. Like I said, and best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Now joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is former Ohio State defensive tackle Tommy Togiai. Tommy, it's great to have you on. You're hanging out in Exos in Phoenix with a lot of other guys that have actually been on this podcast. Rashad Weaver, Marlon Tui-Pelotu, uh, Quiddy Pay is a friend of the podcast. Really, really hanging out. You're, you're, you're becoming part of the family, Tommy. Yeah, no, I mean, all those guys are great dudes. And, I mean, they love to work hard just like I do. So, I mean, the training's been going well. We push each other. I mean, it's, it's been going well. So uh, before we get into kind of your career at Ohio State and what you're doing now at Exos, I want to talk more about kind of your recruiting background. You're coming out of you know, Idaho's Highland High School in 2018, 15 scholarship offers as a consensus four-star recruit. You know, you, you, there was some chance for you to stay close to the West Coast, Utah, Washington, some offers from them, but you ultimately made the decision to go to Ohio State. What went into that decision? And, and talk more about what your recruiting process was like. Yeah, I mean, recruiting was crazy, man, during that time, just being in high school and then especially a small town in Idaho, just being from there and getting all these college offers and stuff like that. But, I mean, recruiting was cool and all, but, I mean, ultimately why I chose Ohio State was mainly because of the coach, uh, Larry Johnson, just what he's done with players and how he, he gets into the league and what he's done. So, I mean, and then not even that, just the man he is too. So, I really created a close relationship and, I mean, it's a testament to – to him, I mean, where I am today, I mean, it's, I owe it all to him, and I appreciate him so much. I'll tell you right now, Tommy, I have talked to a lot of guys that have worked with Larry Johnson. There isn't a single one that does not bring him up and, and talk highly of him, and I'm not, I'm not surprised that you're one of the same, man. That guy has done a lot of good work with a lot of different players entering the league. Um, you know, something else I wanted to mention too was, did you play? Did you play? You know, like you said, small city in Idaho, you know, small town in Idaho. Did you play both sides of the ball? Did you have opportunities to get a little offense in, Tommy? Uh, maybe a little bit when I was like freshman sophomore year, but then after that, I just strictly just started just uh, straight to D line, just all with yeah, all defensive line. So you know, pivoting to your career at Ohio State, you, you know, you didn't play a, a very high volume of snaps in any single season. You know, look at the past three years. You know, under three hundred total snaps over the past three years in each of those seasons. Obviously, playing behind a lot of really really good talent, being a rotational piece along a very talented deep defensive line. Was that in any way like frustrating for you, like not seeing the field, you know, 400, 500 snaps a season, or did it allow you to kind of keep fresh legs and really put your best work out there? Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit of both. I mean, at first I was a little frustrated, but I mean, just 
learning from the guys ahead of you kind of just helps you out a lot. And then also, yeah, like you said, fresh, like my body feeling good right now. And that's because I mean, maybe I didn't get like all those plays that maybe my body could have been more hurt from that and all that. And coach J Johnson always likes to do a lot of rotation in his, with his group. And I mean, it's, I mean, I always love that just because, I mean, guys always come out, I mean, they do well in the league because I think they have fresh bodies. How, how frustrating, you know, speaking more to frustration, was this past season? I mean, obviously the COVID-19 imp impacts on the season, you weren't able to play, I think, down the stretch. I, I'm sure it just was not easy to kind of see, you know, the success of Ohio State, specifically against Alabama, and not being able to show up in that game. Was this freeze? You know, how different was this season compared to others? I mean, it's probably going to go down. Maybe it's one of the hardest seasons people are going to, I mean, it's going to be continued to talk about even like maybe 20 years down the road. Everyone's going to remember this year. And just like, I mean, it's just a crazy how we went to playing, not playing, and then back to playing. So, I mean, just like I think as a whole group as college football players, I mean, a lot of guys came together just to stand up and play. So I think it was really great to see that as well, kind of see college players unite together too. I want to talk about some of the teammates you've had at Ohio State. Obviously, a really deep defensive line. You, you've played, you know, with a lot of talented players there. But I want to look on the other side. You know, Wyatt Davis is is one name that comes to mind. I'm sure you had some battles there against him. But a, lo a lot of other like really good interior offensive linemen came out of Ohio State in your tenure there. Talk to me about some of the battles you had with some of the talented Buckeyes on the interior offensive line in practice over the years. Yeah, I know my freshman year, Michael Jordan is currently uh, on the on the Bengals. I mean, yeah, we have battles, too. Just going against him our freshman year kind of, I mean, let me know, like, oh, this is how it's going to be kind of deal. And then <laughs> going with Wyatt, too, Josh Myers this past season. I mean, going against them every day of practice really was just iron, sharper and iron. I mean, the best against the best. I mean, those guys really got me to where I am. And I think they would say the same for me going against them in practice. So, I mean, it's really great. And I'm sure those guys are near the top, if not at the top of your list in terms of some of the best offensive linemen you've gone against. But even looking back on your career against other teams in the Big Ten, who do you feel like are some of the best you know, competition you faced? Oh, yeah, through my time at Ohio State, I think Wisconsin was one, definitely. And then also Northwestern in the Big Ten, too. And then also, I think, mean, Clemson this year and then even last year, too, I thought was pretty good. And so something that PFF kind of sees with your game as a strength or kind of a key separator for you is that that bull rush you bring to the table. And I think that adding that as a pass rusher is very important. I think your run defense kind of speaks for itself and how you've played against the run, even on limited snaps, has been really impressive and kind of speaks to your frame and your overall skill set. But to be good in the NFL at defensive tackle, to be great, you have to be able to add as a pass rusher. And you kind of see that with your bull rush but that's like, you know, the third party scouting you. you know, that's like PFF scouting you. Who, what do you feel like is a key separator for you in this class? What do you feel like is that strength that you know, sets you apart? I mean, I think my effort, too, is another thing. But then also just like, I mean, my ability. I mean, I've been working on my pass rush ability even now and then even this past season. I think I kind of, you saw it kind of jump off. I mean, kind of helped me out this past season, but also, I mean, just, yeah, like I said, my effort, I'm always going to be going hard to the ball, like trying to get to make plays like that and always giving that 110% effort every play. Yeah, I think effort, honestly, you know, and I've talked to guys at PFF about this. I think effort sometimes can get underrated when you're looking at interior, you know, defensive linemen specifically because so many sacks, pressures, chaos from the pocket can come from that extra motor, extra motor. That was a weird accent. Extra motor, <laughs> extra motor you have along the defensive line to kind of pursue that. Um, we'd, we'd like to talk a little bit more about, you know, now what you're doing at Exos and kind of 
how you're training for the combine, what drills you're prioritizing. Are there any drills that you have like kind of circled on your goals of like ones you really want to hit and, and, and so forth? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of a little bit of, I mean, the 40 and I mean, obviously like the bench and the three cone kind of mostly, yeah, all the field ones. I kind of want to, I mean, challenge myself and do really good. in, And then also, I mean, it's the bench also. And then, uh, also in the position drills, been really working hard on just position work, pass rushing stuff, and then also run stuff, but just getting right with that. And, and what weight did you play at this past season? And, and then what weight are you working to be at now? I know a lot of times you'll receive feedback from teams or players will receive feedback from teams to like drop 20 pounds, gain 20 pounds. Are you working towards a certain weight? And what play, what weight did you play at the previous season? Yeah, so last season I played like around 295 to 300. And then I'm probably yeah, just going to stay, stick around either like in between 290 and 300. So I'm currently weighing like about 295. So I'm probably just going to stick around there. And teams, yeah, have asked me about like my weight and where I see my, where I feel comfortable. And I said, I felt, I told them like I feel comfortable in the range between 290 and 300. Like I can be in that range. Awesome, man. Going back to kind of your career at Ohio State and speaking specifically to preparation, I'd love to hear more about in a given game week, kind of what you look at on film against opposing offensive linemen or opposing offenses to prepare for a certain opponent. Yeah, so, I mean, it's like we come in right in after the game on Saturday and Sunday, we kind of get that. It's like a fresh kind of get that game plan a little bit, kind of just watch some film on the our next week's opponent. So basically just kind of getting keys of their like top run plays basically. So it's like, yeah, our first like breakup is this run plays basically like 11, 10 personnel, 12 personnel, trying to get all those run formations that they run their top plays in out of runs. And then, so then, yeah, going in next to the week, like Tuesday, that's when we really get into our game plan from our coaches and stuff like that, of how we're going to attack them. Uh, be first, second down, yeah, usually on our Tuesday, kind of Wednesday. And then, yeah, towards the end of the week, we'll kind of get into more third down pressure stuff, more like blitzes and stuff like that. But then watching film for me, I'll, I mean, I really got into more watching film my sophomore and then even this past season, just watching more on my own, just kind of getting keys on what, like where the slides are going, where the protections are going. And then also just noticing like tendencies that alignment have, how they're set in, in their past sets, how they come off in their run blocks and stuff like that. And how much has that film preparation really changed in the off season? You know, kind of what are you looking at now? Are you watching a ton of film on yourself? You turn it on film of some of the NFL guys. What what film preparation are you doing now? Yeah, so I've I've been watching. I mean, of course, my film from this past season and even years before, and then also just watching. Yeah, a lot of NFL guys tape like a lot of cut ups of just a lot of NFL guys. What what NFL guys? If you had to pick some that you feel like or similar frames, do similar things as you? Who, who are guys that you kind of emulate or want to work your game after? Uh, I mean, I always admire guys like Fletcher Cox, uh, Aaron Donald, Chris Jones. I mean, those are the elite guys that you kind of always look up to. Like, those, that's, like, that's where you want to be at. Like, that's where you want to get to. So I kind of, like, look at what those guys are doing, like how they, how they rush, how they play the run and stuff like that, how they even in their stances and what they're kind of, like, looking for and stuff like that. And we can close with this, Tommy. Like, uh, I really appreciate the time. I, I love asking prospects this one. You know, what is your motivation to kind of pursue a career in the NFL? Because there's so much sacrifice that goes into playing football, playing this game at a high level, and doing all that you've done to even get to this point, and then to continue to uh, to have your your football career in the NFL. What is your motivation? What is your why kind of behind this game? I mean, I think my why. I mean, I love the game of football. I mean, at a young age, I just love it, and I love to compete. 
I mean, the competitiveness I have, that kind of just drives me to be great. And then I also just do it for my, myself and my family. I mean, they've been with me all my life and have just been behind me and supported me. So they're another one of my whys. But also it just comes down to I just love the game of football. I love to compete. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time and, and best of luck moving forward. Thank you. Appreciate it.